Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Lasso Lowdown. We give you the lowdown on all things Ted Lasso. I'm your host, Lee. I am here. I am joined by my co-host, Spencer. Spencer, how are you? Doing well, man. Officially halfway through the season, we flipped. We flipped over to halfway between episode six and episode seven. Spencer, what did you think of episode seven? I liked it. Uh, it, I mean, it's got some of the same problems I've had with the whole season. It is very long, and it has so many different plot threads, a lot of which don't seem like they have much connection with each other. It kind of like took various parts of like a season one and a season two plot and put them together, where there was a very season one plot centered around Ted and training the team and bringing them together in that kind of way. And there were more season two plots centered on the relationships, particularly with the return of Sam as a major character again after being kind of absent for the whole part of the season. I really liked the Ted plot. The rest of the relationship plots, I think they, they're okay in their own regard, standalone, but a lot of them don't seem like they really connect back to anything to really make for kind of a unified episode of television. So it was ultimately a very relationship-focused episode of Ted Lasso that was a clear theme for it. And I'll say on the whole, I liked it, even if I had some issues. Yeah, I kind of was the same way. I, I felt like it was a little meandering. It was a little all over the place. Um, I'm not sure <clears throat> how all the threads really relate to each other. Maybe they don't. Maybe it's just telling different stories about different people. Uh, it was clearly supposed to be the relationship episode, although it also took a left turn into this is the re- this is the episode where we give you bunches of montages to show you that they've worked really really hard on this total football thing, or it is the Sam sort of one-off episode where he's battling with some faux prime minister of this world about immigration. Like, so it was kind of meandering in that way. There were a couple really high moments for me. I felt like when the players were there taking care of, you know, his, his restaurant, that was a, that was a tearjerker scene. I think some of the, anytime you can get Keely and Rebecca just chatting one-on-one, the chemistry with those two um, are so high. Your girl Jack has stolen Keely away. We're not getting many of those scenes anymore. <laughs> well, you say your girl Jack in a really, a really dismissive or in a really uh, like sort of comedy way because you know that like now they they're starting to dive that character. <laughs> um, but you know, it's like the type of thing where it's like when they when they give me when they give me certain things from a character, I form a rel- I think a relatively logical opinion of it. Jack seemed reasonable up until this episode then they cha- she still could be <clears throat> she still ch- could be then they changed the character so like i know sometimes like the tendency is to be like oh you were wrong about jack it's like well i mean i guess but like they could always next episode have ted become a serial killer and then we were all wrong about ted like right. if you change the character then i have to change my opinion and obviously jack got a little crazy this episode um your opinions are based on the information that you presently have available. So as they unlock more about these given characters, our opinions change over time. And the Jack and Kaylee relationship is clearly in some status of flux. Yeah. So what we're going to do here on the last of Lowdown is what we always do every week. We will do a recap. Spencer will lead the recap. Spencer, you're going to do the recap back to front this week, middle out. How are we going to do the recap? I mean, what, what, uh, we, Portuguese. We, we, we Entirely, be... 100% in Brazilian Portuguese. Got it. Like to keep me on my toes. Last week, Spencer uh, completely changed the recap on me. Had me all flummoxed. Had me like I was I was total football after just one week of, <laughs> one week of practice. Don't, don't worry. <laughs> this week, I've tied a red string to his penis. He will know where I am at all times. <laughs> we're playing Arsenal with one week to go. That's what Spencer gave me. It was difficult. Uh, but anyway, what we're going to do this week is the recap, and then we'll go to um, best line of the episode. Well, we don't do best line of the episode, do we? We do train wreck of the episode here, and then mm-hmm. we do Ted's life lessons of the episode, which I will lead. Before all that, though, however, 
We have Tea Time with Lee and Biscuits with the Boss. Tea Time with Lee meant to show Ted that hot tea is not quite as bad as he thinks it is. A Tea Time or uh, um, Biscuits with the Boss is where Spencer brings a sweet treat to the podcast. Spencer, do you have a sweet treat for us this week? This being a very relationship-focused episode of Ted Lasso, I decided to return to something I did last week, but with intent, a couple weeks ago, but with intent this time. I asked my beloved girlfriend, Bridget, to make me a dessert if she was willing. And she elected to make me a whole tray of fresh, still warm brownies. So I am very, very happy. Okay. Are they a particular type of brownies? Is there, is there whole chocolate chips in there or is it just uh, standard they're, bra- standard chocolate? They're whole, uh, they're, she started with the regular Ghirardelli brownies and then she added whole chocolate chips. She added nuts. She added all kinds of extra little fixings inside these things. So I have been spoiled rotten and I am happy for it. What kind of nuts are in there? Uh, looks like a collection of walnuts, I think. Oh, walnuts. You ever had black walnuts before? No, I don't think I have. So that's a big thing here in the South, black walnuts. And um, they're, they have a very particular smell to them. And there's like very like very southern, very like like family oriented. Like oh, this is my grandma's from generations and generations ago recipes with black walnuts in it. So if you ever in like the deep south, let's say you're let's say you take your your lovely bride to be in uh, to Savannah, right? That would be like a real that would be like a real insider game for you to be like, hey, you got any black walnut desserts? People would be like, oh, this motherfucker knows what he's talking about with the black walnuts. The secret handshake that I didn't know existed. Thank you, sir. Yeah, black walnuts. Big thing. So it's a tea I have this week. So if anybody who follows the Mangum Talks Podcast Network knows that we are busy lately. We've been doing the Succession Podcast, which we do every Tuesday. We do this podcast. We do every Friday. We've also been doing Mandalorian, which we just released last week. I counted it up, Spencer. In the last seven days, I've spent 17 hours working on the Mangum Talks Podcast Network. This is a, this is <laughs> along with the four hours, 40 hours I do with my, my job. So it's becoming kind of like a lot, right? And we're probably going to scale back the number of mm-hmm. podcasts that we do because spoiler alert, everybody, we do this for fun. We do not get paid for this. We don't have, we have, we have listens. We have wonderful listeners who engage with us, but we don't have the listenership to like sell this or like start selling advertisers or anything like that. So, and, but while doing those 17 hours last week, I also just got railroaded with people just writing in saying, you suck. I don't like what you're doing. You're, you're this, you're that. We, we got to get probably in the last seven days, got more negative comments than we've ever gotten. Now I've gotten better about negative comments. I don't just straight up attack the people on the air for, for, for We've talked. like I used to do, uh, but it can still be a little deflating. So I kind of sat back and I thought, what should I do? And then I thought, you know what, Spencer? Uh, what does this situation need? That's what I asked myself. What does this situation need? And I decided it needed tea that was fun. So I got bubble tea this week. That's right. Bubble tea. I got an <laughs> oolong version of bubble tea. Bubble tea can really be prepared in any type of, with any type of common loose leaf tea, right? You can do like a traditional black Assam. You can do a green tea bubble tea. I did oolong, which is a little lighter flavor. And then I also did oat milk because I like the flavor. And I always get double boba in the bottom. So mm. I like the snack. I do the double boba in the bottom. Good call. This is not hot tea. This is twice now this, this, this year. Uh, or this season, I have not done hot tea, but I've not done hot tea because I looked at the situation, not unlike our, our AFC Richmond friends and said, what does this situation need? You know what it needs? It needs a little bit of fun. Spencer's having fun. He's two brownies deep already. And I am enjoying a bubble tea. I will say 
that even though we got people sort of deflating me a little bit this week, telling us we sucked and whatever, we do have really good fans who do like us. And one of them wrote in and, and specifically recommended a particular type of tea. And I bought the tea, and it will be here in the middle of next week. So next Friday, we record, we record for episode eight. I will be reviewing a tea that was specifically recommended to us from a listener uh, who is engaging with us on our Facebook page. So I got that coming next week. But for now, in order to lift my spirits back up after an awful lot of work on the podcast network and a little bit of deflating feedback, I got bubble tea, and I'm ready to roll into the recap, which Spencer will lead. Spencer, take it away. Well, one thing before then, we had a we had a fan comment going out in the last episode on the subject of Roy and some of his comments with respect to Kiwi's relationship. Yeah, I was gonna. I didn't know when you wanted to bring that up. I had it kind of written into the notes to bring it up midway through, but we can do it now if you want to. Um, go ahead. You want to? You want to? You want to uh, talk about that a little bit since you brought it up? Well, I mean, the fan commented that uh, lo- lovely fan been with us for a long time. Commented that there was some key language choice by Roy when he was referring to Keeley's relationship. Is that he not, not says that Keeley's just dating somebody, not says that Keeley is you know going out with a new relationship. Sp- explicitly says, and I'm, to correct me if I'm wrong, that Keeley is dating a woman. And that seemed a very pointed way of him expressing that point to Jamie that merited a little bit of analysis about where Roy's head is with respect to that, if he's emphasizing that particular detail on it. Do I have that right? Yeah, I think that it was. <clears throat> The concept was that the fact that Keeley was dating a woman mattered to Roy. It was, mm-hmm. I don't think anybody would call Roy like somebody with toxic masculinity, I, I, or at least I wouldn't, but he did, he certainly does have masculinity, right? And I think that's a differentiating thing that this person was pointing out is that like he, he, he does have a lot of features of traditional male masculinity. Sure. Uh, hell, he's tying ropes to people's penises in this episode. Like he has, he does have like, traits of masculinity uh and the fact that like keely would be dating a woman post him might might be particularly difficult and that might be the reason, to a certain degree. reason he brought it up to jamie is because he felt like jamie might be a little bit safer space than some of the other people in the show who we know are his friends like beard and ted etc because you know she still hasn't t- talked to ted beard the diamond dogs about this particular issue it's just been jamie and it's just been that sort of you know vulnerable state late at night where they've had this bonding experience where he he shared that so i do kind of I, th- I think i believe what this person is saying which is that the fact that keely's dating a, a woman first off keely's dating anybody's difficult for him but the fact she's dating a woman is also particularly difficult and that's why he's not talking about it much with anybody it's an interesting point i really hadn't thought about how roy would be processing that aspect of keely re-entering the dating, the dating world it's an aspect of the character i'm really considering he's a, he's a very diverse, multi-factored character in a lot of ways that often contradict with each other and how he would process the idea, not not just of her dating, but specifically dating somebody, well, dating a woman. It's just really, I, I'm, I'm going to be very curious to watch more and see whether the show goes into that more because that's an interesting point in terms of exploring and unlocking a little bit more about how the character functions. So we, yeah. kudos to the fan for pointing that out. Yeah, and another one we got that I think deserves some, some shout out is a person who writes in a lot was telling us like that the more lasso, the better is, is actually working for them. And like, I think we have denigrated that a little bit and we're probably going to this episode, like the idea that they're they're putting too much in these episodes. They've gotten too long. This person specifically wanted to point out that the fact that they're longer is better. And the fact they've morphed the show from a sort of like more traditional 30 minute sitcom into something 
quasi between like maybe a comedy and a drama that that stretched to an hour is really working for them. And and it's not the first time I've heard that. I've heard a lot of people say, hey, why are you guys complaining? We're getting more of these characters. We have to live in this world more. Heck, my wife made that same comment after she watched the episode this week. She said, I like living in the world. I like being with these characters. So the fact that they've stretched the episodes to an hour, I'm getting more of it. I have no complaints. I think you and I have a slightly different take on that, but I just wanted to give us some airtime. I get it. I fully get it. There's people that are very much enamored with the world of Ted Lasso. They're very much in love with these characters. They're very saddened by the fact that the show is ending this season. I've spoken to many people that have that particular mindset. Uh, We don't know if it's ending. Okay. They have, at this point, this is going to be the weirdest damn thing at the end of the season of when they just suddenly now finally clarify what the hell is happening next. I think there it, seems I to think be we'll some get, indication that something is ending. The, yeah, I think he's going to move back to America, but we'll probably get more Ted Lasso. He'll just be somewhere else. I said ho- hockey, different sports every every three seasons. Let's see where they go. It's going to be a, 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 a lacrosse run down the way, but. I really appreciate a show that is well structured, that has a clear purpose, that has a an obvious signs of an architectural bend in terms of how carefully it is it is set out and paced for every episode, or particularly how each episode falls within the season. And season one was a masterstroke of that. Each episode was so tight, was so carefully labored, worked into each other so perfectly. There was very little fat. There was very little just random extra episodes thrown in there. That I deeply admired how successful that was. The show hasn't been that for a while, and it's been steadily moving towards this format of longer episodes, more episodes, more characters with focus on the plot, as they unlock larger segments of the world to the audience. That is working great for some people. For me, I wouldn't call it off-putting. I would just kind of call it not what originally drew me in. And so I'm still playing catch-up with respect to where the show has been going now. Fair enough. All right, you want to get the recap? Well, we start off with shops are opening across the country, and I feel like we see this montage like four or five times. Waited every day. That song, too. Every possible way. Oh, man. Cranberry's dreams. I think that right right away they're setting the tone. This is the relationship episode. I'm more of a zombies guy, but, you know, I respect I respect the song choice there. Uh, zombies better than dreams, too. But, like, yeah, that they're, they're definitely. like. And, and did you notice another thing about this episode that... I feel like I could be completely wrong here, but I feel like they know when they have a weaker episode because they interject more and more music. There was so much music in this episode. A lot of music. And I feel like it was trying to make up for the fact that maybe it was, there were some awkward transitions. There were some things that didn't necessarily connect. There were some weird ending to scenes. And so they used music to try to build it up. That's just my theory. Well, we'll hit them when we get to them. We, we, while the shops are opening, Roy and Jamie are quite literally mushing through the streets with Jamie in a delightfully pink tracksuit as they run about. Go, uh, go. Well, I think I think Roy actually yells "mush" at him. Mush. Uh, <laughs> while Nate is coming to make eyes and wave hi at Jade, which he apparently does is kind of like a morning ritual every single day. Uh, That's not weird. Let's just say this now, villain Nate. Did he just die off camera? Like, are we just not going to get to see him again? Are we just going to treat that as if his redemption has purely happened on the basis of this relationship blooming? This is, let me, let me state my opinion. This is not redemption. Nate, Nate needs redemption for how he treated people in the workplace. When he had a job and he was, he was going to transition to another, this happens a lot with people in their careers. They have a job. They're looking to make another bump. Like, oh, I want to go from to line manager to director or whatever. And they have to switch companies to do that. This happens a lot. 
how you leave the old company, how you treat those employees matters. And Nate was absolutely out of line. That's the problem here. That's what he needs redemption for. Being nice to a woman you want to see naked, that doesn't, that's not the same thing. Like he wants to date this woman. I'm not shocked that he's nice to her. Like, okay, great. That doesn't take him out of the villain category for me. I don't, I, I don't under, they, they seem to be wanting to, to have his redemption flow through this dating. And it's like, I'm, he's self-interested. He wants to date this woman. He's interested in her romantically. I'm not shocked he's nice to her. That doesn't mean he's nice now all of a sudden. I, I think maybe their objective is to kind of put the mindset, put the audience in a mindset of Nate being likable again and focus on that almost exclusively in terms of where we've seen Nate for the last three episodes. So the audience will be more willing to embrace a redemption arc here coming presumably in the next five, five or six episodes ending the season. Cause we were, we're both betting that Nate's going to be redeemed or forgiven in some fashion and be good with the main characters before this season is out. That is my guess, but it I cannot be through his relationship with Jade. I just, I, I, that, that, that sleight of hand is not working for me because I, I, there, there's, there's two wholly different things. I'm hundred percent there with you. There is actual grounds. He needs to be to seek and merit and request forgiveness from the people that he hurt. Jade is not one of those. Jade cannot provide him a means of just solving those problems entirely separately and independent of him actually making an effort in that regard. And you're not going to convince me a guy is nice because of how he treats a woman he's interested in romantically. Every guy's nice to women they want it. They're interested in romantically. Like I'm interested in like what what it what makes me think Nate might actually be nice isn't this mess with Jade. It's how he's treating his mother. It's how he's treating his family. Like that's sure. that stuff is does make me think this might there what? might still be a nice guy in there somewhere that's going to come out. But this thing with Jade it, to me, it's a whole separate conversation of just him finding this romance. But is Nate a villain? Is he redeemed? Whole different conversation. Agreed. I would love to see how Nate actually treats people just in his current workplace. Because we saw that like episode one and two, he was a straight up, you know, imperious asshole yeah. to them in yes. terms of his new career. We haven't got to see any of that. Are they suggesting that he's just been steadily improving and that was a phase, that was something he was put on? It's hard to tell just because we're seeing two what appear to be independent worlds with respect to Nate. And we're not crossing over between the two of them in terms of what we see on camera. I agree with you. Uh, meanwhile, Jack and Keely are at breakfast, and Jock, Jack has brought Keely, bought Keely a little gift, the smallest of things, Good just a, a little token Lord. of her appreciation, just a first edition copy of Sense and Sensibility. Signed. Signed-ish. Uh, signed by Jack. Well, no. Jane well, Austen had signed it, and then she wrote shit above she it. penciled it above it. Yeah, she defaced what is a bit of history yeah, no, for the this, sake of making a gift. A fir- I'm going to – more on this in Sports Center Top 10. But a first edition Jane Austen signed by Jane Austen is – Priceless. It's history. Well, there's you can get a price to it, but it is unbelievable. What, <laughs> making a joke about what about what Jack refers to is that it has a price. Very expensive. Uh, but apparently she marked it the way she did, both to be cute and also because, as she says, she's very jealous and doesn't want to imagine that Keely would re-gift it. Keely, in the moment, enjoys the gift. But maybe there are some seeds of a little bit of concern attached to that, too. We'll see. At Sam's restaurant, uh, Sam is dealing with the fact that his head chef, Simmy, who is she his girlfriend or not? I feel like I feel like we got some hints that maybe she'd be in terms of how she interacts with Sam's dad later, but it's never been explicitly said. 
other than the two kind of sort of maybe bantering, flirting with each other. I do not think they've established that they actually date. Okay. Maybe he has intention or maybe he's at least talked her up to his dad. Who can say? Well, he certainly has told his dad about her, right? And, and, yes. And his dad, who's awesome, is is willing to tip the cards like, my son, my son, oh. like, my son liked you. Yeah, for sure. Yes. Certain amount of encouragement going on there. Well, the head chef Simi uh, and her utterly militarized collection of cooking staff here in her kitchen are pissed about the anti-refugee stance of the country's home secretary, a Brenda Barrett, or something like that. Sam tries to calm her down, and but he's mostly worried, though, on the subject of making everything perfect at the restaurant, because, as we've hinted, a VIP is coming for the weekend. Most important Ooh. person in Sam's life, his dad is visiting from Nigeria. Sam is very concerned, even to the degree about whether the spoons match. Spoiler alert, they don't. They bought clearly two different two, two different uh, non-matching sets of silverware here. But, somebody tries to reassure him, the food's good, doesn't matter if the place is perfect, everything's going to go fine, just calm down. And we go into the theme of the episode. Yeah, my theology gear. Uh, at which yeah. Ted is, yeah, yeah. Starting to prepare. Uh, yeah. Ted is starting to prepare his day with a presentation. Uh, with Roy's going to make things dark so that Coach Beard can shed some light. Beard then gives us a bit of history on the Netherlands' development of total football, Netherlands' version of total football that they developed centered around the 1974 World Cup, with its various threads thereafter. Particularly, I have Spain. a question. Yeah. You know how people say Barcelona and they say Barcelona? Yeah. Why don't see? Why don't? Why don't the same people say Netherlands? Because that's, uh, that's how they pronounce it. I think people are just very amused by the lisp that occurs in Spain Spanish. Yeah. All right. I was just wondering because I always I, I hear I hear this Barcelona a lot, but I, people people don't people don't respect the Netherlands. That is a valid point. Why do we choose to pronounce that one authentically, but we choose to choose to uh, you know English languages eyes other other countries uh, in terms of how we refer to them? I don't know. We don't call we, we typically don't refer to Germany as Deutschland either. Yeah, well, maybe it's we should arbitrary. start. Okay, that, so there's what here's what we're going to start doing, right? Well, so we're we're out in public and, and we're meet, we're talking to somebody relatively new, and they go, "Oh yeah, I was just in Barcelona." Da, da, da. Say, "Oh really? Um, what's that? Uh, help me remember. What's the name of that country that started World War II? And uh, if they you mean Germany, ah, uh, you, you're not allowed to say Barcelona anymore. You don't say Deutschland. <laughs> you're out. Like, Sorry, consistency the, is required. Do <laughs> really like a quiz we give people. <laughs> We have now cut you off from certain aspects of language and consistency. We're happy to help. Where is Amsterdam? <laughs> uh, the, the traps your leg. Uh, Beard, Beard's pointing out that though it was very much fa- uh, centered around the Netherlands, uh, so Netherlander, uh, it, is, it, it then moved on to Spain and even Richmond's hated rival Manchester City uh, with a, a, a pointed opportunity to also make fun at Jamie and his brief foray with reality television, which he seems in good humor about. I really enjoyed how Jamie just went, just he barrel laughed, he bar- belly laughed, and he had he just like ah oh, I got I was robbed. robbed. <laughs> like it was, it's interesting. One of the team, exactly. That's a that's a theme of this episode is that Jamie wants to be one of instead of one apart, to a greater degree than even the coaches realize, which is really interesting when we get there. Yeah, and like it ends up being they end up folding. That narrative and that that journey of Jamie Jamie wanting to be one of instead of one apart actually into how they play the game, which is kind of really smart writing. Like mm-hmm. I, I really enjoy that. 
Again, I liked the Ted Lasso plot of this episode quite a bit. There were parts that were just silly, and you rolled with them or you didn't. But it felt very much like, you know, a season one Ted Lasso plot of him getting the team together with his own unique way of doing going about things. Uh, Beard summarizes, well, Beard hits that now they've had a recent reincarnation of Total Football by means of what he refers to as barbecue sauce-induced hallucination. Because he's really dismissing the idea that Ted had any degree of actual hallucinogens in his system. No, no, it's true. But hey, it's not about me. Y'all go ahead, keep shining. Uh, Beard summarizes Total Football is about constant movement. Players are no longer in set positions. Defenders are free to attack. Attackers are trusted to defend. It's about taking risks, supporting each other's decisions, which Sam, ray of sunshine that he is, compares to like when a, like, like when a friend wears something new outside their comfort zone, and instead of ignoring it, everyone pays him a compliment, which everyone then chooses to do with respect to Ash's new hat, which, credit where it's due, I think Ash is wearing the hat well. By the way, I really like the sunglasses you have on today. If only I was wearing them, they're just the same damn transition lenses, but I appreciate the effort. Uh, Beard, building off this, says, Exactly! Total Football is about letting go of your baggage and trusting your intuition. It's jazz, it's Motown, it's Mame, it's Pinet. Pin- he does a lot of examples here. Ending with, his mother proudly displaying her vibrator on a bedside table. That gives everyone a certain element of pause. Hmm, but- Interesting. It's about throwing off the constraints put on you by society and by yourselves. We all know football is life, but a beautiful life is total football. Everyone's excited. Everyone cheers until they are then freaked the hell out to find out that they are now going to be employing from this day forward. Total football is their governing strategy for the game. Roy tries to reassure them that, you know, they're going to learn it. It's going to take a couple months, but it's going to work out great to which Ted then clarifies that no, they're going to learn it and then employ it this weekend in like four days. Even even Roy is caught off guard by that. Against games. Arsenal, yeah. yeah. Roy is even caught off guard like that just because that's utterly mental. But Ted is committed to this new idea the way Ed does. He Once he's decided something's going to work, he's oh, in hush 100%. Oh, hush your butts, hush your butts, hush your butts. You hush your butt. You hush your butt. He individually hushes everyone's butt as he sends them out to the pitch. Hush your butt, Spencer. Hush that butt. Hush that butt. I would love to, but I've got recap left to finish. In Kaylee's office, Barbara overcomes the, ha- the force of habit of saying that the sky is falling to instead drop off a folder. I'd like uh, to point out that before the end of that last scene, Ted specifically said, Isaac, come on, be a captain. Get that butt hushed. Yes. <laughs> it was very, he was, he was requesting the butt hushing in a very individualized way with each of the people. <laughs> Van Damme, hush your butt. Isaac? Work on the hushing. It's going down a list as everyone is walking out of the room. I love that they call him Van Dam too. That they, they said, "Okay, sure, if that's what you want to be called, that's what we'll do." Zorro is no long is no more. There is no only Zorro. It's Van Dam. Uh, Barbara notices when she comes to Kiwi's office though, that Keeley has a bit of a breakfast gift. Uh, she stumbles through her prejudice about whether Keeley reads to hone in on the fact that uh, this is a gift from Jack, Keeley's boss. Jack. Eh, eh. Again, that's how she chooses to present it, and Keeley does seem to accept this after a bit of a fashion. Eh, uh, I'm not sure it's her boss. That the and the gift was delivered at breakfast. It's your investor. Together, uh, Keeley suddenly awkward is all hell about this. Stumbles through a bit of a cover explanation about how the gift was acquired before the conversation pivots to the fact that Barbara apparently eats breakfast in her PJs on her subway on her train commute. Then changing in the office when she gets there. I have never done that. I was about to ask you: Have you ever done? Have you ever 
elected to fully change only when you've arrived in the office. So I lived in D.C. in my 20s. Um, yes. And, uh, yeah, there were some times I took the metro to work and had, had fresh clothes at work. A state of undress? But it wasn't because, not, well, not, un, not undress, but I, I had, like, fresh clothes at the office. Um, but I, that situation wasn't set up because I wanted to get to work so early. Like, <laughs> there was you, other, there was other reasons I was having to change clothes at work, but yeah. Were you suggesting you were in a bit of a state? Uh, well, she stayed out late. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and didn't go home. So I, uh, I kept, I kept fresh clothes at the office and I would go early in the morning, sometimes in the mission, but it, it wasn't ever because Barbara, see, see the, what annoyed me about this comment from Barbara is it was very much like martyr, like very much like, well, yeah. I have to try to get, to work, how I suffer. to get to work like, so early that he's like, Oh, give me a break with it, that shit. It also felt like it was in pointed comparison. Oh, you went out with Jack for breakfast and got a first edition as a gift. Meanwhile, I was eating yogurt on the subway coming in early so I could work. It, it, it felt like it was a, a bit of a point, a, a pointed comment. I have a question for you. Do we think that Barbara might have a thing for Jack? She was over the top when Jack came in, and now she seems more upset about the relationship with Keely than I feel like she needs to be. It was interesting that for that episode when we first met Jack, Barbara was really in on both Jack, which we thought maybe was just sucking up, but also really, really into Rebecca. Like, hyper laughing at every joke Rebecca made, re- focusing on her degree to key. Maybe Barbara just has a bit of a thing for powerful women. Yeah. Or I, maybe she was just trying to suck up to powerful women. We need more data. I think what they're displaying is that she has, she has, she also had a thing for Jack and she's not, she's now like a little, along with being maybe professionally frustrated that this is occurring in the workplace, introducing an odd vibe. I mean, that stuff is legitimate. That's like, fair. It's very, it's fair and legitimate. She also may have a bit of personal, uh, jealousy as well. It's important. It's important to note that Keeley seems to recognize that what she's doing isn't entirely kosher either, at least without additional, you know, clarification as to what degree this is allowed or not. Uh, Nate, meanwhile, is on his computer plugging away at work while fielding messages from his mom about birthday plans and reminders for the following day. Seemingly, I think it's for his sister Nicole. Is that who's having a birthday? I believe. Yeah. Can I read the text? I always do the text. De- text detective. Cool. Tell, tell us there, please. So this is this is t- uh, Nate texting with his mother. This is the previous conversation. So this is what they had had before. Cheeky, I guess his mom calls him Cheeky. Cheeky, the internet is out with a picture where very clearly the power cord was unplugged from the computer. And he just says, Mom, it is unplugged. And that message had been hearted. So I guess his mom hearted it after she figured it out. Now, the relevant text to the discussion is, Hello, my busy boy. Don't forget your sister's birthday tomorrow at 7. Nate says... Let's go to Taste of Athens, my treat. So he's trying to get everybody to, to see Jade, right? Yes. And she just goes, I'm cooking. Please don't be late. You know how your father gets. Angry emoji, face palm emoji. Angry mm-hmm. emoji, face palm emoji is a, is a good one, too. That's a solid one, too, with the emoji game. Those work well together. Uh, Nate runs with this, uh, asking Siri to set a reminder. Also Siri? Chooses, also chooses to ask Siri, who responds, yes, Wunderkind, which I, I do like that's become a recurring thing for Nate. I asked Siri, is there a way to know if a girl likes you or is just being nice? To which Siri wisely and accurately answers, simply, you can't. Okay, so we're going to pause the podcast. Spencer, tell the crowd, tell 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 everybody listening, tell our fans, tell the crowd, how can they actually figure this out? So you, you, I'm, I'm sure you know. How can you tell if a girl likes you is just being nice? I'm going to give the floor over to you. Go. The silence that you're presently hearing is my lack of understanding of the topic. I, I mean, I've, ultimately, I think the answer is the one that he gets from his mommy and sister, just to ask. 
That's the only way I've ever known with any degree of certainty. Yeah. Is there is there some magical secret that I've never learned in all of my thirty seven years of life? Absolutely not. No. Okay. Because because there are four billion women on the planet and they're all different. <laughs> and yes. Can, there's not a one size fits all there, to just there, there's women. No skeleton key here. <laughs> yeah. They're they're very different. Uh, strangely enough, just like all humans. And yeah, it's it, different vibes, different people. I think you got to ask. Yeah, for sure. Uh, at the Richmond Pub. Ted and Beard are talking about commitment and relationships, be it in be it marriage, as Ted suggests, or pegging. And hey, James what's pegging? I don't know what that is. Okay, uh, that is where a partner attaches a strap on to their waist, usually or us. Whoa, hold uses... on, whoa, hold on, whoa, a second. I, did you not want me to answer the topic? I honestly didn't know it was a sexual. I did not. I should have known. I guess I did not know. I should have googled it, this beforehand. What is this? It, Something with a. It, you, 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 oh, it's a portrait of anal sex, but done by means of a strap on onto another person's anus. Oh my lord! Okay, all right. Well, that teaches me not to do the research before I ask the question. Got you it. Asked, sir. Got it. Yep. Walked right well, into that. J- Jane Beard and I are aware on this topic. Ted is a little bit is still playing catch up, particularly on the idea that Jane has been trying to leave hints by leaving out magazines. To which Ted. He's very curious as to what the hell those magazines are that are now scattered around Beard's apartment. I, sometimes I just don't know how dirty this show's willing to go. Like I, that, that, what you just described, it, it kind of surprises me that they would even reference it. I thought I was, I'm in Lasso. I thought I was safe. This isn't the Succession podcast. I thought I was good to go. Well, I mean, you're really spoiling what was going to be a segment on Sports Center Top Ten for me. But mm-hmm. fine, I'll write it off. About pegging? Uh, oh, you you had a pegging segment? Oh, that's nice. We could still do that. We could still I do had the fi- I had five paragraphs on the subject, but I'm just going to throw them out right now. Leave them behind. Spoiled ahead in advance. Blame oh, away. shucks. Uh, before Beard can answer about the magazines, May drops off their order, looking a little bit downtrodden on the subject of her business is suffering as a result of Richmond's poor performance. This I is like a real that thing. Touch. It's a real like, thing. We, we've had it, Ted has been so fl- relatively flippant, or at least caught you know separate from the game with respect to the team's success over the course of this season. And it's nice to have other people around the margin to emphasize how much this has affected them, not just emotionally, but straight up financially, from what from what effect of the team's declining fortunes. The bar is empty right now, other than that one guy that's always there, vaguely trying to hit on May. Uh, is that May's boyfriend? It, 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 I mean, they, they, they've had a bit of a relationship or flirtation in the past. Whether it actually is ongoing, who, can, who the hell can say? Uh, the fan trio likewise comes over to apologize for going soft on Ted. Saying that, you know, they went soft on him, they humanized him, they lost all objectivity. All right. reason, which okay. is the main reason why farmers don't choose to, you know, become, you know, name their livestock or get close to them. We started this podcast. So we, we now have people listening that we don't know. Obviously, we have people all over the country and all over the world who listen to this podcast. But we started it as just me and you trying to hang out and just hang. So let's just, let's, di- let's devolve for a second. We have a friend who would say this, right? Getting, yes. getting all soft. I'm sorry. I got soft yes. on you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I got soft on you. Right. I've let you down by, by not, not being a dick, by not being times. a dick to you. <laughs> let me help so, you. Let me help me help you by being a dick to you. Like right. I, I'm going to, I got this. I am going to help you with your self-improvement <laughs> by being a non-stop asshole to you. God damn, when I heard that line, I, I was like, that hear is... the words. Oh, that is totally him. Okay, all right, we can come back I, out of the I hole I feel like now. a lot of friend groups have somebody that does that. Uh, but th- these guys are here for Ted right now. That They're tr- going to treat him like a livestock, delete the idea they ever named him or established emotional connection. Uh, because 
from their perspective, the team is ba- that they've backslid and the team is backslid with him. So they are here to say, what the fuck are you doing to our team? Hey, hey, guys, why don't y'all just come to practice? Which is the most Ted way of addressing that situation. It's simple. It's straightforward. It's building a community. It's kind of quickly genius. It's, we, it's, we, a, it's a masterstroke. We ain't running a chocolate factory at Deutsche Bank. We ain't got nothing to have from y'all. See you tomorrow. Uh, and uh, we'll also, we'll see in each of the scenes that we do see, because we have multiple days of teams of practice, this starts a trend of where, by the end, the stands are practically full of fans just coming to watch the team practice. And what a wonderful way of getting the fans reinvested in the team, having previously gone out from losing Zava and on this losing streak, to feel like they're now part of this organization. Great so, call, Ted. So some professional sports scenes will open up their practices to fans, and that is totally cool and fine. Here's where they lost me. Is Ted is this specific week deploying a new, a, new a new strategy that they hope to drop in the lap of an unsuspecting opponent and win because of it. And yet now they're opening their practice up. Like there's a zero, there's a there's a 0.0% chance that somebody, one of these people wouldn't have tweeted, Oh man, at, at AFC Richmond. So now it's all everybody's search results. <clears throat> practice and they're totally doing total football and then arsenal knows like th- this was a bad week to do this and it doesn't the fact that there was no consequence to it is sort of weird well the lack of consequence i think is ultimately because i think trent kind of expresses a general frustration with ted's strategy where you're publicly employing this whole new thing at the last second whatever else the trick the show does is that in reality, they've been practicing total football for the last three years, or build, at least building a culture for it. So they can more quickly get in and implement in a way that then becomes harder to counter because it's not just something that's is new being put on. Maybe. I think that's a way of possibly explaining But I'm with you. Ted has never been good on the subject of hiding things or doing secret strategies. She's not what a professional team would do. If they're, if they're oh, oh, well, we're going to switch up from man to zone, and we're going we're gonna to drop it on people on Saturday. Oh, yeah, by the way, let's open practice up. What? No. I feel I feel like it's in the same category of Ted, like very publicly taking the entire team down into the sewers when they're still dealing with negative press. Man, man's not as good on controlling the media message about you know secrecy or, nece- or, or you know that kind of image thing. It's more about the kind of the personal image that he wants to convey out. Working for the fans, but I'm with you on the subject of a of a possibly secret strategy or a new way you're going forward. The message is kind of out. When they were down three nothing to Arsenal at half, I was kind of hoping that like one of the announcers would be like, "It's almost as if Arsenal knew what they were going to do." But they, we didn't what, get that. Also, in fairness, if they employed it against Arsenal, everyone's going to know after that anyway. So it's not like they could have kept it secret for that long anyway. This isn't no. something they just pull out of their hat. This is a whole new, different philosophy for training the team. So it, this is not a secret trick play. It is this week. This is this is my point. This week. Sure. This is my point. You, you just made the point for me, which is after you deploy it against Arsenal, great. Open up the practices. It's fine. Everybody knows you're doing this to football. This the moment. This is the literally the only week they'd want to close practice <laughs> because they're going to drop something new on an opponent. Like, say, it just didn't make any sense. Well, the fans are excited. And they remain excited. And that is an important thing to get them reinvested. Perhaps Ted should have timed it better, but Ted's not great on timing. Well, it was uh, but- Beard's idea anyway. As we, yeah, Ted's covering his ass. Look at that. Uh, Ted and Beard are then left alone, and they end with discussing, anyway, I guess marriage and pegging aren't really that different. Yeah, it's all about compromise. I was going to ask you, since you're the one married guy here, whether you agreed, but since you don't know the other one, I, I, I can't ask for you to clarify. The next morning. Thank you for not asking me that question. I'm here not to. 
Uh, next morning, Nate, seemingly as part of a morning ritual, tries to go out and see Jade again, only to find that only Derek is there. Isn't this Nate, weird that he just goes to, he just walks by there every morning? That's kind of strange, right? This, this is in the category of things that in romantic comedies it can be dubbed endearing. In real life, you might run a risk of, a sub, of somebody condemning you either harassing or stalking. Who can say? She seems charmed by it, though. She even looks for him later, so she's in. Uh, yeah, that's true. Derek is excited to see Nate, as he always is. Nate works his way through the most awkward conversation humanly possible on the subject of whether we would like to leave Jade a message or not, who apparently takes off on Tuesdays for reasons that Derek has never bothered to remember, uh, before eventually concluding that, no, he doesn't want to leave her a message because that would be weird, because he has nothing to say, and instead just heads off, I guess, to his job. Like, this is just part of, like, his morning walk to work kind of thing. I guess so. At practice, the fan trio are in the stands. Ted is presenting total football to the team. Uh, do, you have, do you have the full quote, or shall I deliver what his description of it is? No, you go ahead and do it. Uh, all right, my merry pranksters. If you're going to play total football, there are four things we need to focus on, all right? Number one, conditioning. Y'all got to get in better shape. Number two, versatility. Number three, awareness. And number four, uh, oh. I don't know what that one is yet, but I know it's important. Question, because this is going to come up like eight times. Is Ted playing, is Ted hiding what number four is, or does he legitimately not know? It's a great question. I think he legitimately doesn't know. I think that he, by the very nature of what total football is and what he's trying to do with the team, I think it's very much a create your own adventure situation. Yeah. And I think they'll, that he'll like, find what four is once, I think they, he, once they're there. I think he loves the idea. This is such a Ted thing. He loves the yes. idea of, well, there's one other thing that if we can master it, we will be ready to be champions of this league we just have to go on this journey and figure it out together that's like the most ted fucking thing in the world it, so yeah it works perfect it is and it's it's notable that by the end trent's converted by it doesn't really matter what it is right now doesn't matter maybe we'll find out whistle whistle it, in this strategy and i love that the whistle thing has returned uh roy is the drill instructor he turns to uh, a kind of conditioning that we last actually saw Nate employ of run them into the ground and then keep running them again. Interesting that they're kind of endorsing Nate's strategy of conditioning that they previously hasn't employed for the Come team. Come on, you maggots! Whistle! Whistle! Uh, the team sets off not too inspired about this. Uh, but at Kiwi's office, Jack has arrived. She notes, in passing, that Keely likes daisies. I wonder whether that will come up again. Uh... Well, Keely is at, I mean, Keely you've described as being a relationship guru. Keely's at like an 11 on tilt on the subject of not knowing how the hell to manage her relationship with Jack right now. So I've, I've not said she's a relationship guru. I think she's, she's a elite with dealing with people and reading sure. people and understanding people. And I'd like to point, I'd like to say something in Please. Keely's defense here, if I may, sir. I'm ready to hear it. She's had one minute. she's had relationships with people, and they've all gotten awkward. Three, three for three, all gotten awkward. Jamie, Roy, now Jack, and in none of those situations was this her fault. Jamie got weird on her. Roy got weird on her. Now Jack is getting weird on her. I don't see anything in Keeley's behavior. It's like it just seems like bad luck. Like I mean, that Roy got weird because she's working a lot, uh, and then decided, yeah, I, I, I don't, I'm not going to date her, and then like. Did Jamie get weird or was she just immature? Well, I mean, yeah, he was fucking cheating on her and he would talk about nothing but like, uh, sexual stuff. And he, he was like, remember how he was portrayed at the beginning of season one? He was like the, the, he was like, a dude, bro. The, the, 
the well, no, he was the over the top flamboyant playboy soccer star. Sure, like there was. So yeah, he. I would say he got sideways on her, and now Jack is getting sideways on her. I don't blame Keely for any of this. I think it's a string of bad luck. She's doing fine. Uh, well, at this moment though, she's just going through multiple different rounds of second guessing what the, how the hell to present their relationship. At this point, centered on the subject of you know the harassment covering tint or rapid tinting windows that she has available. The uh, Matt Lauer TM. Yes, that to be referred to hereafter. Uh, Jack, uh, you know, she eventually clarifies to Jack that she just is not built to maintain a secret office romance. She likes for everyone to know everything about her. She doesn't like to keep secrets. Uh, and she's worried about the two of them getting in trouble with respect to their relationship. To which Jack assures her that, you know, we're both consenting adults. She doesn't say what you do about, you know, I'm not literally your boss, but, you know, that made me a debatable point. She instead emphasizes the fact that I've got, I can get away with murder amounts of money. Did she say that she li- doesn't like secrets? Or did she say that I'm not used to them? That she's not, she's used to everyone knowing everything about her. Right. So I think that might be slightly different than I like everybody knowing everything about me. I think that she's a celebrity and she's just used to her relationships being in public by the very nature of being a celebrity. And so I, I, I'm not sure she's saying like, I like that. I think she's saying like, this is just what I'm used to. I think she also is just a very open person, though. From oh, right for the sure. Word for jump sure. we've gotten with Keely. She is a person that expresses how she's feeling, what she thinks, without any degree of particular filter. It's part of her charm. She does do the single most adorable thing ever in Ted Lasso this episode. I'd like to point that out. I will. That's a, that's what we call a tease <laughs> in the business. <laughs> Hit it when we get it. Uh, uh, Jack again expresses that she's get away with murder rich, which she clarifies is like everyone connected to Epstein. Cause that, that joke's in the joke, the one that keeps on giving. Ugh. Uh, Jack, serious about the relationship though, moves to resolve the situation by simply, publicly, proudly declaring to the office that they are dating and that there will be no secrets and that if anyone has any concerns to let them or Barbara know. You are doing thumbs down all over the place. What is your thoughts on Jack electing to do this right here, right now? I don't like it at all. I think if you're going to announce a relationship that you're in with somebody to a group of people that don't know it, that you both, that both, like, so if you're in a relationship with somebody and you're going to announce it to a group of people that you both mutually know, you might want to game plan it with the other person first. So Jack just goes off half cock and just does this on her own without consulting Keely. Now Keely later tells Rebecca she Keely thought it was seems hot. to like it, right? Sure, but come on, guys! Like you, you have that conversation. You say, "Hey, do you want to tell your fucking employees?" Like, don't just go drop it on Keely's employees without having the conversation with her first. Keely could have hated that, and Jack never would have known. Eh, boo, thumbs down, bad. I, I. Very much actually agree with agreement with you. I would note that, as you did, that Keely is not just okay with it. She seems to actually turned on by it. But it is a risky damn maneuver that doesn't isn't really taken into account or just judging your actions based on what you have confirmed your partner wants or making them a co-partner in the relationship, which is the theme with respect to kind of how Jack is going about their relationship for a lot of this episode. It's because risky. There's another data point in that. It's risky in the way leaning in to kiss somebody you haven't asked if they want to be kissed yet is risky. Because if you, if you're misjudging, then we have a consent issue. Because Keely has not consented to those people knowing about her relationship and Jack just dropped it on them. Like, if, she, if Jack misread that, which she didn't, it doesn't seem, but if she did, mm-hmm. we would have a consent con- conversation about like, wait a second, I, I didn't want this 
my relationship to be put out there like this. I mean, like it's my my relationship, right? I should be able to control that narrative. So yeah, I don't know. Didn't like this from Jack. I'm telling you, just they just took the character that I felt like I knew from the pre. They do this all the time, and they just they just <laughs> completely changed it because they they obviously are going to a separation with Keely and Jack. Keely get back with either I, Jamie I don't or know Rowley. that yet. Yeah, I, I don't do. know that yet. I do. That's why they're dragging this character through the mud. And so, like, okay, don't like her anymore. I got it, show. I got it, writers. I don't like her anymore. I'm not going anywhere near as far as you are with respect to this. I think that we we need more data to see whether this is a general trend about the character or whether this is just a learning moment in their relationship. We will find out. But in the moment, the room seems pretty happy for them. Dan even... Dan even makes the opportunity to, like, he seems like he's going to stand up and deliver an epic poem in honor of their relationship before Barbara wisely suggests he sit the hell down. Um, there's no, there's a zero, there, there is absolutely no way those people felt like they could give an honest answer or an honest feeling yeah, okay. to how this was. Like, they're talking to their boss and the person who's funding the entire operation. If they didn't like it, they would absolutely swallow their tongue. There's no way you got honest reactions here. Yeah, that, that's, that, that seems like a classic pitfall of where if someone actually comes forward with expressing, I'm not perfectly comfortable with, you know, the two of you dating, the, the response could very likely be the door's there. Yeah. And like Keely, Jack is like, if you don't, if you have a problem with it, talk to me or Keely. And or like, Barbara. What, yeah, she did say Barbara, but she said Barbara after a bit of a, a, a wait, right? Pause. So she goes, me, she says me or Keely, which it's like, those are the last two people that they, they would want to talk to about this. There should be some sort of neutral third party. She throws in Barbara, but Barbara doesn't, A, hasn't been consulted about this, hasn't agreed to serve this role. Like, it's a fucking shit show from Jack. It's what? not good. Well, this feels like this, this, this works to a category of some complaints we've occasionally had with respect to relationships on the show of where someone does something that's ethically questionable, but everyone in the universe is okay with it. So presumably it's okay. In the universe, Keeley's likes that Jack did this, and the room seems legitimately happy for the two of them. Not arguing that point. I'm just maybe I, Jack's just a perfect reader of people. She's not because of all of the <laughs> gifts she's giving that Keeley's sure. uncomfortable with. I, that, I'm not arguing that. I'm not, and, and I'm also not arguing that like it does appear that the people in the office don't have a problem with it. But my my points are one that I don't like it. So, hey, internet. Don't do this in real life. So, hey, internet, like, good luck, good luck refuting that point. I personally don't like it. All right. It's conclusive. And then two is you, you, there's, there's, you just don't know what your employees really feel about this because you didn't, you didn't get, uh, release this information and open up avenues of communication where they could feel safe, at least from my, my viewpoint. But I think we're working like romantic comedy tropes. If we're perfectly fine to do romantic comedies, maybe don't implement these strategies in real life without a certain degree of vetting first. Right. Do this if you work with Tom Hanks. But that's it. That's it. <laughs> only in the, only if you're working with him in Seattle. Only there. That's it. Uh, at practice, the team is throwing up from running so damn much, though Jamie knows ah, it isn't. Jamie's conditioning seems to be paying off. He's ahead of everybody else, and he looks like he's got, still got a full head of steam as he's running about. What a wonderful detail that, like, everybody I've talked to who's watched this show pointed that detail out. Because like, it, it, it was it was like half a second that you saw Jamie was ahead of the, the crew, but mm-hmm. it seems like everybody caught that. And, like, that's nice what... Touch. I it, it's a It's absolutely a nice touch, but it also tells me that I think that, like, I'm not alone in like the Jamie storyline vaulting to the top power, top of the power rankings of the Ted Lasso storylines. Like his storyline is catching on with people. I think people are very interested in Jamie and like the fact that he 
the, all that work that he's been doing, the 4 a.m. workouts, the, doing him in Amsterdam when everybody else is out partying, presumably, is paying off, and he's the one that's not sick. I, I did some polling this week among 12 people I know. Whoa, scientific. Look out. It, it, it's, not a, it's not a reasonable sample size, but it's what I got. Every single one of those 12 people said their favorite plot line, their favorite character arc was Jamie. Jamie and or Roy, they're almost pairing the two of them. You now. could add, you can make it 13. Add me to the list. 13. Uh, Ted was far and away the second most popular storyline, which fair, it's his damn show. Agreed. And then everybody else was everybody else. It's some various lump of third, fourth, fifth, whatever else down there below. So I'm glad to hear ja- that. Jamie's off the charts in terms of fan popularity right now, it seems. Same with me. Jamie Uh they make it back to the midpoint. They're tired, they're exhausted, they're throwing up, maybe whole Cheerios, maybe not, we'll find out later. Um but the day is not done because now it is time to scrimmage, to which all of them just simply collapse on the ground. These guys need some conditioning. At dinner that night, Keely and Rebecca are finally back together. Were you happy to see your twosome once more? Their the, the friend group returned. Dude, I absolutely was. And it, like, is it, tell me if I'm off base here, but it just felt like such easy. Very engaging chemistry between the two of them. Like I felt like it, unforced. It, yeah, but it it was so easy and natural that I felt like I wanted to saddle up to that table and just hang out with them. Like I was like, right. oh man, this is a real like these two have known each other for ever and they're just buddies and it, this is super comfortable. You don't need a like a little context clue saying these two are friends. Just their interactions would tell it. you that much. I love it. I like it a lot. I'm straight there with you. Please let them let them hang out more. Hey, how did Rebecca look this episode? I didn't get a chance to see her. She looked great. Oh, interesting. Did, are you like literally blind to her? You ask you every week. You say you didn't get to see her. Oh, like, strange, right? Yeah, I just didn't. I don't know. Uh, you're, like, you're you're like Zava, you're, except it's only about Rebecca. You just can't see her. That's right. I'm like Zava. I see no one but my wife. <laughs> you, you, you see everyone but Rebecca. <laughs> uh, they're talking about the subject of recent relationships. With Rebecca saying of her unnamed Dutchman that look what we shared. It just. It transcended sex. It was magic. It was gazelleg. Gazelleg. But yeah, I really would have liked to have seen his penis, which, you know, we're all there with you, Rebecca. Uh, meanwhile, Keely Whoa. is going nuts about Jack. Uh, she says, oh, it's great. She's so cool. She's so smart. She's so foxy. She's an amazing gift giver. And the way she proclaimed her relationship to the, office, to the whole office, it was so fucking hot. She's over the moon about this. Rebecca, though, focuses in on a key detail there by pointing out that there are some concerns on the subject of love bombing. Lee, I turn it to you. Can you explain the subject of love bombing, either as Rebecca says it or as you understand it? Yeah, sure. So it's a thing that people do when they get into a relationship, and it's typically, it presents as more gifts, more surprise getaways, more big showy gestures than you would expect or the person who's receiving these big showy gestures expect. And, and in my experience, and I've, I've been love bombed and I have love bombed other people. It typically comes from some level of insecurity. And it's when somebody thinks they're dating above, like punching above their weight class and they think, Oh man, I'm so like, I, I can't believe I have a chance to date this person. I'm, I'm over my head here. So they're constantly making lists of like, I can get them this gift. I can get them this. I can do, I can do this because they don't feel like, just their time alone is enough 
to get that person to like them. Like it, it, it's it, the, the insecurity is kind of obvious on its face, right? It's like just hanging out with me clearly isn't enough for you to like me. So I've got to get you Jane Austen first edition signed books. I got to get you a bajillion daisies. I got to get you trips to the Aurora Borealis thing in the world. This is someone, what they're portraying on screen, this is someone who does not think that they are worthy of Keely. And that's funny because Rebecca made that same comment to Roy. She said, She's with somebody who thinks that she's worthy of her. And, and that's actually, and that's actually not true. That's actually the exact opposite. And Rebecca probably is picking up on that now. And I think you emphasize that there are two different ways of interpreting the love bombing in this context. I think the show is presenting us. There is very much what you emphasized. It's coming from a certain place of insecurity that you're trying to secure the love and affection of someone that you feel like could leave you at any time because you're not worthy of it. Or as we get from Rebecca, it is more the Rupert context of buying affection because you don't necessarily care to invest in anything other than that, and it's got a certain cloak and dagger effect associated with it. I think the show's leaning more towards the insecurity with respect to Jack rather than more the Rupert, but at least at present, we're not committed necessarily to one or the other. I'm Rupert not sure. At least expressing concerns that Keeley needs to be protective against the more Rupert strategy. I'm not sure both of those are different. Because I am not sure, I, I as much as we don't like Rupert, hands up, I don't like Rupert. He also knows he's older. He's not that good looking. Like he probably thinks he needs to do all these things to secure these younger women. So there may be a level of insecurity coming from him as well. Now it's not going to present that way in casual conversation because he puts this mask on and he walks around talking like he's the king of the world. But he may think in order to in order to get Rebecca or in order to get these younger women, I have to do this too. They can perfectly overlap, and in some ways, one's more just a motivation rather than necessarily a controlling strategy. Absolutely. They, they, they can operate in the same world. In this case, Rebecca offers the comparison of that on their second the second gate, Rupert w- took her off and bought her a Jaguar, uh, noting that it felt nice to be taken care of. But, but a what? A Jaguar. I'm pronouncing it the way, the, the, the way this commercials from like 20 years ago just pronounced it to sound highfalutin. That's, that's funny to me. I hadn't heard that. Jaguar. Uh, Zorro. She's, she, she's, <laughs> Zorro. Uh, she says to, uh, Keely that, you know, look, I'm not saying that Jack is like Rupert. I'm not. And I, I don't think the show's going the late, the way that she is, but we'll find out. I don't think um, Rebecca's saying that either. I, I think she's being honest no, no, with no. Keely. She's just trying to be honest with Keely about you just, Sometimes shiny things can tarnish and you need to be aware of, of red flags because it's so easy to get love blind in situations like this. That's just good at relationship advice for anybody in any context, really. Uh, Keely tries to dismiss the comparison just in time, though, for the waitress to walk up and reveal that Jack has comped their meal because she happens to know that they're there and has had tabs on it and is paying for all of their expenses for the evening. Rebecca giving a notable little side eye at keely with respect to this and zero fucks and zero fucks proceeds to exploit the crap out of the situation by ordering all kinds of varieties of desserts extra rounds of food and also what ultimately amount to three bottles of 1934 chateau cheval blanc saint emilion premier grand cru bottles of wine which i looked them up if you could even find them we're talking about multi-thousand dollar bottles of wine here yeah, she probably, upon hearing that, ran that bill up about seven grand. Good God! Because she said, "Give us two bottles, and then we'll and take one, one for one yourself." That's three bottles of that of that of that particular vintage, which is extremely expensive. Yeah, I love, I absolutely adore Rebecca. Like, 
that because Rebecca doesn't like that clearly doesn't like that Jack is doing this with Keely and it really enjoyed the opportunity to exploit it. Look, this is not all that different from when you say, look, I'll pay for the bill. And I'm like, Spencer's finally paying. Look the fuck out. And I just jack you up, man. I Did do it every time. You had to get the four lobster last I time. I do it, we were do it every time. I jack you up. As soon as, as, soon as Spencer says he's going to pay, I absolutely do it. But it's, it, it's a wonderful move. And it's also someone who knows the upper crust items really well. Like, like I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't even know what to order to jack a yeah, bill up seven I'd grand. I'd ask for the wine menu and just find the bottle. But Rebecca you, already knows the word yeah, to go. Yeah, you're fucking with the wrong person because Rebecca knows exactly what to say to jack that bill up immensely. Uh, do you think Rebecca also maybe resents a little bit that Jack's inserting herself into their girls' night? So I actually did have this, that um, Rebecca makes a comment about the what refers to Jack as the woman who stole you away or something yes. like that. And I think that like that, I'm glad that that was talked about because like obviously I don't think Rebecca has a romantic interest in Keely, but I do no. think that like when you are best buds with somebody and you're both single and you're doing a lot of like hanging out every night type stuff and then that person starts to date someone – it's, a, it's it's very common for people to get resentful of that, and I wouldn't I sure. wouldn't doubt if Rebecca started this conversation from a place of maybe five to ten percent resentment, but then latched on to something that is real. This love bombing, this is happening, and and became even more resentful. Because I think Rebecca even said something similar when she found out that Keeley was going to you know Norway to watch the Aurora Borealis. So it's a repeated thing that she's referencing there with respect to that. I agree. Uh, at the Nate family birthday. Nate and his niece, Sophia, have prepared another one of their utterly famous celebration boxes. These are a fixture of Ted Lasso at this point. Very cool. Uh, While Nicole says that you're the hottest coach in the Premier League, which makes me the coolest lawyer in my firm, please tell me that you're hooking up with girls left and right. Nate's dad appears very uncomfortable with that topic, hushes it immediately, and scurries out of the room with other people to go get ice cream, leaving behind Nate's mom, Nate's sister, and Nate to have their girl talk, as he refers to it. Nate tells those left behind that he is into Jade, but doesn't know whether she's interested in him, given his prior misreading of signals, which I think, at least in show, Keeley might be an example of that. I would say. Uh, they confirm that the only way to know for sure, though, is to just ask her. And ask him, what's the worst that can happen? Nate, very much man after my own heart in this regard, proceeds to answer that question with, well... She laughs in my face, says no, and that I scurry away, humiliated, never to be allowed in my favorite restaurant ever again. So the next time we have some kind of family celebration, I'll just have to, you know, sit in the pavement outside eating takeaway fish and chips, watching you through the window like some Dickensian street urchin. I have those thoughts all the time. I'm with you, Nate. They are shocked and realize that Nate is just like his father in this regard, who apparently made a damn world map. To ask their mom out on a date. With it saying, the distance between the places that we were born, 4,125 miles. Distance between places that we were raised, 4,230. Distance between our dorms and campus, 1.3. And the distance between us on Friday night at 8 p.m., hopefully one foot. Would you like to go on a date? Is this charming? Or is this Bach-worthy? How do you feel? Literally, in my notes, it says, Then the mother gives Nate the map. Is the map romantic or weird, Spencer? Question mark. I, I, wanted, I, I had the so, same question. I beat you to it. It's that on same you. question. I um, it seem it seem again context. It seems to have worked on the mom. It's a big swing. It's, it's either a big swing. You're either connecting for a 500 foot home run, or you're whiffing and you didn't touch the ball. It it it's one of the two. I uh, 
I tend to be like in these things. I'm a little more conservative. Um, I, I never would have taken a swing like that. I, 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 I would be a little too worried that be misinterpreted as being pretty creepy, <laughs> which I think it could be. Uh, mm-hmm. So for me, I never would have given it, but it seems to have worked in this situation. What say you? I will offer. I'm going to tell a story about me. Look. Oh at that. my God! Look! Look out! Uh, brief and with no detail. Bridget and I date our relationship from me writing her a love letter. That's the moment we begin in Christian our relationship for is I wrote a love letter while drunk with our friend Doug over my shoulder helping me write the thing. That's how we date our relationship from. So I have at least a certain category of this. I don't get the sense that her dad, his dad did this like, like drunk as a lark with friends, right? Like I feel like this, I think this he spent weeks. He spent a long months. time on this thing and, and it was a, it was a hell of a swing. Yeah. It was either, you either, I'll tell you this. You give that to somebody, you're either going to marry them or you're not going to know them next Tuesday. That is very much in that category. It apparently worked. And the mom is still charmed by this. Notably, she seems to keep it secret from but, the dad. But the thing about it is like, it, so if she was pulling that out to say, hey, look, you're like your father. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's the point of the conversation is that you and your dad are this, are, it, are similar. It, it's interestingly contradictory because she seems charmed by it still the fact that she keeps it, but she's also telling Nate not to do this. Right. But, but if it, yeah, but, but, but as a sort of like thing to do or not to do in the dating, like, I feel like they could have stayed in the closet if, if that's the point of the conversation. But if the point of the conversation is to say, look, these, these feelings of self doubt, this feeling of awkwardness, not knowing how to approach a woman, obviously your dad felt the same thing. Cause look at this crazy fucking thing he gave me. Mm-hmm. I think that works. Uh, they use this example, but however we choose to frame why they're showing this example. To encourage Nate, stop waiting. Yes, you could fail and be embarrassed for a second, but you could also get married and have two wonderful children and live happily ever after. Nate seems affected by this. Uh, seems like he's got a bit of a head of steam on the subject, but before they can discuss it anymore, the dad returns and they rapidly move to hide it. Why do you think they moved to hide it? Because the dad would be embarrassed that they showed it to Nate, or the dad would be angry that they still have it? Uh, the first one, I think. That, that I Nate, think so, that too. Nate would. Now, this is a little Uncle Lee out there to the kids, though. <clears throat> He's talking to his mother and he's saying, like, how do I know if this girl likes me or not? And finally, the mother just goes, the only way to know is to ask her. Yes. I think the uncle Lee out there to the kids for this episode is always shoot your shot. Like, just like if you if, if, if you're single, you like someone, they're single. Ask the question. Don't just don't ever. It, it should be at 100 percent coverage. You should ask the question. Is my opinion. Don't mm-hmm. ever let the don't ever let one go away where you didn't ask it because then you just drive yourself crazy for eternity. Always shoot your shot. Always ask the question. It's better to be told no and then you learn. By the way, when you get told no, you learn how to handle no, which is a really great life skill. Hell yeah! Ask the question. Get the nose if they're if they're nose, but always ask the question. The next morning, the shops are opening again, because it's the most repeated montage of this episode, uh, including Sam arriving at his restaurant to find the entire staff is clustered around a laptop watching a news report on the subject of the latest refugee boat. Are you telling me you didn't need three different scenes of the doors opening in the morning on the street? Why did we get that? I mean, I, 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 I can I understand. Don't know. I mean, I, it, from a, just a visual standpoint, it's a nice motif to show us that morning has occurred, but why that one exactly? No idea. I don't, it's, it was strange because we didn't spend enough time on that street to warrant it, I didn't think. Not sure either, but 
The Home Secretary is in question is again saying that, you know, all these refugees should go home because Britain is closed. Simi oh. is pissed, saying, you know, someone needs to send her back to where she came from, her mother's butthole, right? Uh, Sam, ray of naive, optimistic sunshine that he is, says that, or someone could try and speak to the better angels of her this clearly misguided person. Wait a second. This is an anti-immigration politician who's clearly, yes. clearly making hay with an yes. anti-immigration message. You're giving them ammo if you say a damn word. Sam, an, a, a immigrant, public figure immigrant, thinks it's a good idea to engage with this person on Twitter. What okay. are you doing, Sam? If I could provide an in-show explanation... Maybe it's because Sam got zero blowback for the protests that he did last season. There you go. That, <laughs> oh, how that, good did that feel right there? How good oh, did that feel? Oh, it felt great to get that out again. <laughs> what a great point. You're right. Hey, You're right. I, I, I was I was kind of going to be like, oh, God, are they going to do ex- one of these exact same plot lines again? He's going to make this big protest. It's going to be a magical thing where everything goes perfectly and there'll be no blowback, no consequences, rather than actually going through the real world difficulties of people actually making a stand on these subjects. And then, no, the show goes, no, 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 this episode, we're going to go more realistic. You're like, like somebody right. who is, who is carried an anti-immigration message to a national position. Is it going to go read Sam's tweet that goes, Hey, maybe you want to rethink this and go, Oh, you know what? This whole, the, the whole backbone of like how I'm making political hay here. Yeah. I, I want to rethink it because it's something this guy said to be on Twitter. No. Come on, Sam. What that person's going to do is go, is immediately start cackling malevolently is, oh my God, they've given me a target. Exactly. Because now, yes. cause he is an immigrant that she can, she can fire at. He is an immigrant. He is a public figure. There's been a lot of subjects about, you know, footballers maintaining these positions and politicians going after them on the subject of, you know, or sports figures in general with people and going after them about having these kind of political opinions rather than just playing their sport. Sam, you are walking into a minefield with your head held high. I will say this. The shut up and dribble thing comes specifically from a back and forth with, uh, I believe Trump and, and LeBron. Yes. Um, I, anybody who knows me knows, I have to take this very seriously. Let's, let's stop joking for a second. Yeah. I have not liked LeBron. Yeah, you've been pretty clear on that for a very long time. I refuse to buy his shoes. I will not root for his teams. I am not a fan. However, LeBron, by all accounts, good human being, good father, does a lot of work in the community, great citizen, good ambassador for the game. All that stuff's true. I just don't like him. You mm-hmm. understand? You understand what I'm saying? This uh, is, yes. it's sports dislike. It's not real dislike. Um, but yeah, even me, somebody who refuses to root for any team LeBron's playing for and who knows he's, I don't know, if a half hour's passed, he might have switched teams. <laughs> um, refuses, refuses to buy his shoes, never rooted for the guy because he's a ball dominant power forward who just barrels at the rim. We are, we are at still, minute two of the lead in to your point. I, no, it's about a minute and a half. I got a little bit more to go. Okay. Uh, he's, I, I still backed him on that. I, I felt like he yeah. was he was making a really good point, which was like uh, any public figure can use their platform to talk all they wish. But anyway, that's that's what they were hearkening to was a very specific conversation that happened, I think, about 2017, 18 between Donald Trump and, and LeBron James. Well, Sam apparently missed the news on that particular subject. And maybe it's just not aware of how Twitter functions as a thing because he uses this opportunity to immediately tweet out into the universe his own. Did you did you write down the tweet the way you do with text? Uh, no, I didn't write his tweet down. I did not write uh, any of the, them. None of them. The, gen, the general subject matter. He's basically just calling in this woman to you know 
reviewer stance and you know try try to make try to make a better britain kind of thing and pointedly not including the word bitch hold on i got a few more things about lebron no i'm just kidding (laughs) i love the opportunity (laughs) to eventually say i like what he did by going two minutes of saying hate the guy hate everything he does in sports just you know it's kind of any team he's part of it's kind of a running joke with my friends like i'll be like lebron can't stand him don't like him but Wonderful dad, wonderful husband appears, you know, built a school in Akron. Awesome, yeah, awesome. Would, but you know would, what? Can't, can't, can't stand the motherfucker. Yeah, would never give a dollar to a team he even approaches. Like you walk in front of the front door, that team is dead to me. But you know, tolerable human being. Sports hate is a funny thing. Uh, at Taste of Athens, Nate tries and fails to ask Jade out for another date before retreating to a restroom. Were they setting up or at least suggesting he was about to spit on that mirror? Did he even look like he was about to do so? I think he... See, they're Again, trying to... They're trying to do character growth here. I know. Yeah, that's what it was. Because he, he clearly went in there with that plan and decided not to for some reason. I Again, I'm with you. I wish his character growth wasn't driven around a relationship in this particular way. I wish it was actually grounded in, you know, what the actual problems were that were leading to how he was acting what he was. The people that he hurt. The underlying issues with respect to his personality, rather than just, I'm trying to be better so a woman likes me. Pretty uh, much. He looks like he's about to spin on the mirror. Seems like a different idea occurs in his head, and instead, heads out, struggling with the door as he often does, leaving Jade just baffled as to what the hell just happened. I don't think she's baffled. You, you don't think she's baffled? She at least has a brief moment of, like, just confusion at him. Uh... I mean, he he barrels in at an odd hour and goes, I have something to ask you before getting nervous and leaving. I think she probably knew what Reasonable he was leading conclusion. up to. Yeah, she okay. knew what he was leading up to. Maybe she's more just confused that he just didn't ask her kind of thing rather than confused about what he was about to do. I, I Yeah, I, I don't know. My headcanon was that she was like, is he all right? Like, I know I know what he's I know what he's going to ask, yeah. but is he going to be okay? Is he going to be able to get this out before, you know, I don't know. Having a stroke? The fall. <laughs> uh at Richmond's practice, there are notably significantly more fans in the stands than just that fan trio from earlier. Yep. Uh, team is going their runabout. Uh, Bumper Catch throws up literal full Cheerios, apparently because he swallows his own food, given his concerns about the suddenness of potential class warfare. These characters are not real people in the real world. Just saying that now. And this is the theme they've gone with with Bumper Catch for now, that he has some interesting political views. It's just tough, right? Because they, they create, the, it, it, he's in the Danny Rojas category where it's like, okay, well, everything, everything comes out of his character's mouth. I have to just like pretend it's a different show, that it's and, just absurdist. And it has to turn to its one point they've established about him, that he has kind of strange political views. Yeah. Uh, Ted focuses on the, focuses the practice on versatility, saying that, you know, in total football, you gotta be constantly asking yourself, what does the situation need right now? You know, drop back, support, support certain players on defense. Move move forward and attack with Jamie. Do you give Roy a piece of gum because his breath smells like Dookie? Which Roy looks legitimately offended that Ted used that as an example. Even Completely hypothetical. It. Don't worry. You're fine. You're fine. Roy still feels the need to test this while the conversation goes on. Uh, but he's focusing that you know got to jump to be where you need to be at any given time and know where your other players are at any given time. And so as part of that, they need to understand everybody's position, everyone's function. And so, to start... They've replaced Will and Beard for the day, with Will in illustrious duct tape beard there uh, occupying Beard's position. Okay, so we going to do this rest of the podcast. You 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 do the Lee takes. I'll do the Spencer takes. 
I'm not ready. Yeah. All right. So, well, I, well, I mean, welcome to welcome to the last lowdown. Apparently, <laughs> this is apparently what we do. No, on the no, it's my job to do that to you. We are shit at each other. Yeah, that's what we're gonna do for a little while. Let's try it. Let's try to you make the you make the Lee type points. I'll make the Spencer type points. Okay, I'm gonna talk about LeBron for the next four minutes. Start there. Uh, go. So, don't like the guy. Don't like anything he's done. Don't like his, <laughs> how he plays the sport. He even shoots. Oh, uh, are you done yet? Are you done? No, I got, I, got, I got more time here. We're on minute five of this. <laughs> also, basketball, basketball, and wrestling references. That felt weird. I don't want to do that anymore. Uh, so, I, I haven't gotten my Spencer points in yet. We have to continue. Okay, turning it back to you, Spencer. Uh, on the, while we continue through this, uh, Beard is now going to be the kit man. He's apparently come up with a new wonderful drink called Water, which... I'm somewhat concerned that Ted thinks is a remarkable improvement from what they had before. What the hell has Will been making? I don't like this. I don't like this at all. These are not real people. This is just not as good as season one. Okay, yeah, there we go. I got my Spencer point. You're, you're bringing me down with your negativity. Always the negativity that you bring. I need positivity around me at all times from all people. Season one was so good. It was like the Empire Strikes Back. It was the best. I- no, 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 no. Season 40. Season 43 was where is that? I don't even need the season yet. I just need to imagine that there will be 43 seasons and it makes me happy. Season 43 was good. There was a presidential campaign in 43. I liked it. That was yeah, a good Al, one. Alan Alda showed up and it made everything great. <laughs> All right, we can switch back. Okay, good, good. Uh, so to do this practice off, they're going to be switching positions between characters. Little Names on cards have been provided and each person's going to be playing that other person's role in the course of the scrimmage. Players are excited about this, particularly the opportunity to be able to do each other's voices, with Danny offering a very authentic Isaac Isaac, Isaac uh, impersonation. Yo, give a fuck, yo! <laughs> Isaac, this is, ay, Dios mio. They're trying. They're having a blast. Team's in on this. Cards are hanged out. Everyone assumes they're different roles, except Jamie, whose card just says Jamie twice. So, goes, this is great, right? I want to give the, I, I've said some negative things about the episode. I want to give, it's like a compliment to the episode. Run because like, well, because like they had something funny going on, which was the switching of players and like Will being beard and like it was a genuine type of funny. I mean, we just engaged in it, right? Where you like, you pretend to be your buddy for a little while. That is a fun thing to do. And they could play off of the, the, the sort of stereotypes of each person yes. and in a fun, playful way. But they also, reinforced a plot point that is actually kind of serious, which is that Jamie wants to be a part of. He doesn't want to be different than the team anymore. The, think about how much Jamie would have loved in season one to have gotten the the, 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 note, the, 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 the note that says, that, well, you're not really switching with anybody. You're just going to stay Jamie because that's different than what everybody else got, right? But he actually was bummed out about it this time. He was like, well, if that's what you want, coach, but like, I kind of want to be involved with what they're doing. It, 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 I, a point of comparison to season one. Remember when uh, Ted asked Jamie, would you rather be a lion or a panda? And Jamie responds, I'm me, coach. Why would I want to be anything else? Yes. Yes, a great – that's a wonderful callback because, like, that's how self-involved he was, right? He wouldn't want to pretend to be somebody else. He would like the idea that the coaches selected him to be the only person not to participate in this exercise to be a little different. And this time it bummed him out. And the actor – played it great because like he wasn't going to undermine the coach as he was going to say, I'll do whatever you guys want. But like there was a bit of disappointment that he couldn't engage the way that they were doing. And I really think it's interesting that it shows a certain degree of oversight on Ted and Beard and Roy's part that they don't seem to understand how far Jamie's come. 
Yes. I don't think they get that Jamie is now a pinnacle team player. He wants to be part of this team. He wants to be better with this team, as part of this team, contributing to this team. Not just the superstar all-star that he was before. He doesn't want to be Zava. He wants to be something different and better than that. Yeah. They're, and the, he's there, but they're not. At least not and, yet. And the metaphor plays out on the field. He, he, yep. the, how, how does he want us to play? Through me. I want to be integrated in the team. You're right. I think Ted missed that one. I... I, I I appreciate showings of, you know, that these characters aren't perfect. It's yep. an interesting one showing that these guys are not perfect as coaches. We've been talking about some other ones this season, but I like this one. I agree. Uh, Jamie, as you said, kind of plays it off as best he can, but clearly doesn't like that he's been made special in this way. Uh, the team starts off, the practice, the player. Is it fair to say the players are having a blast with this? A lot of we see? they're having a great time. Well, I, I mean, it, and it's great because it comes and it's so realistic, right? As, as silly as this show can get, there are re- hyper realistic moments because it comes on the heels of like all the super aggressive conditioning training, yes. and they're like, "Oh fuck!" If we can just kind of fuck off for a yeah. little while, this is awesome. And I feel like this is intentional in terms of like how Ted likes to market things. Of where there was a lot of heavy conditioning, whatever else, but he also just wants to make this fun, and a certain element of silliness is just. Could is just straight up Ted for how you would like to present these kind of things. So when we did the character switch and I said, yeah. Hey, hey, can you be me? I'll be you. I actually wrote down a little bit. You want to hear what my notes said? Oh God. What'd you write down? Spencer, do you want to do the rest of the podcast like this? I'll be you. You be me. I'll talk about seasonal rot and how the writing was clearly influenced by Apple's corporate goals. And you can tell, <laughs> and you can tell me life is good. We're having fun and we should all just list things we're grateful for every day. I like Why did I just your, say that? I like how you paint yourself as Danny Rojas in terms of how this scenario works. I'll take it. Uh, Football is live. Players are having fun. Even the fan tree of Baz and Paul decided to switch, switch positions briefly uh, with, you know, uh, Baz trying to be, you know, just encouraging everybody out there and Paul trying to be a dick who rapidly doesn't like it. The uh, fans don't always work for me, but they worked for me this episode. I, I liked them a lot this episode. Sometimes they can just be kind of just there or whatever. Parent. Yes. This, they had a nice little emotional connection to what's happening, and they factor in well in that regard. Uh, things go a little off-kilter, though, when Ted takes Isaac to do a corner kick, when Isaac has literally never done a corner kick before. Uh, with Ted's advice being Ted not knowing anything about this, just kick it as hard as he damn well can. Isaac kicks it as hard as he damn well can. What? Where does the ball go, Lee? Hit your bottoms! Right up and breaking the window right next to him and leading to Higgins being covered in tea. The physical comedy was elite in that scene. From Higgins. Elite. I watched it a couple of times and laughed each time. Like, really high-class physical comedy there. Uh, Baz just makes an utterly great Major League joke just in the moment, uh, which I was just utterly tickled by just a bit outside. Uh, and the practice appears <laughs> really to end good. the day. It was really good. Uh, <laughs> Sam, back in the locker room, checks his phone to find out, oh my god, Lee, someone has said something unkind about me on Twitter based on some opinion I've offered. Color me shocked. Yeah, like, hey, and guess what, Sam? Let me let me give you this advice, too. If you start a podcast and you think it's about something <laughs> something relatively benign like television shows, people are going to tell you you suck and don't know how to do anything. That, that so, also happens. So what happens when you, say, offer a political opinion contrary to a major politician who is marketing herself on the subject of maintaining a hostile public face on illegal immigration and um, refugees coming to the borders of the country? How's that going to play? <laughs> Yeah, starts out with just, you know, her saying to leave politics to us and just shut up and dribble. 
obvious real life political real life comparison. I was there. surprised they went with "shut up and dribble" because of how I mean that's the exact words that was yeah, used. They're being to very LeBron. on the nose here. Usually they they kind of touch it a little. They don't they don't just like hit it, hit the point right on the, well, the head like this. In universe, she may be intentionally om- paying an homage to Trump. That's maybe a way of looking at it too. Hmm. So it yeah. could not only just be very on the nose for us, just you know, in the real life. It also could be a pointed bit of her, you know, hearkening into that kind of similar political bent. Yeah, I thought I thought she was maybe a Boris Johnson stand-in, but maybe maybe it's more of a American politics thing. I don't know. The show is mainly marketed to Americans, and we kind of kind of have to view it in that lens. I think. Um, but he does he does seem disheartened about this, but not completely crushed in the subject. He's not given up yet on having this fight on the internet. Trent, meanwhile, confronts Ted on whether it is a good idea to be, you know, like we talked about, publicly changing tactics in the middle of a season to something completely new that the team is obviously struggling with. Nothing on this on paper looks like this would work out well. Ted offers, nope. well, well, Trent, the way I see it, it's kind of like taking a hike with Robert Frost. Could go either way, you know? For those that don't know, that's a The Road Not Taken reference. More on that remarkably Sports Center Top 10. More on that Sports Center Top 10. Ted is surprisingly highbrow. Uh, Beard, meanwhile, just tells Will to get the hell out of his chair because Will is still in character lounging in Beard's chair at his desk. Sorry, to get the fuck out of his chair. Beard's not messing around. Another day. Another montage of the shops opening. I think we're on the third one of these. Uh, And Jade is pointedly confused and maybe a little bit disappointed that Nate isn't there this morning. At work with Keeley, everyone seems happy to see her. Perhaps because they all know that the office is over the fuck flowing with daisies. How many daisies are in this office? How many hundreds of daisies has Jack piled up in this thing? A couple hundred, maybe. It's it's, it's not a good look. Ludicrous amounts. Too much. Too much. Uh, At practice... The subject for the day is awareness. Because when you play total football, you have to know what your teammates are doing at all times. Constant movement requires constant concentration. So, Sam's running through the center. Y'all got to shift. Danny who's back at defense means, well, hell's frozen over. But, you know, got to adjust for that, too. Uh, to do this, Ted thought it would be a great idea to give Roy carte blanche. Which has led to Roy... For this practice, weaponizing the Japanese myth about soulmates being connected by an invisible red string to their pinkies, within their case, strings connected to pairing player genitals. I'm left to ask why no one asked the question about why there were strings tied to their dicks, when the strings were tied to their dicks, but, you know, comedy. This didn't work for me. The the strings on the strings on penis thing yeah it's too silly for me it just it it, yeah it 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 towed the line I I I I was glad they didn't extend beyond like two minutes uh I was able to just kind of chuckle at it as is but this is getting really damn silly yep Uh, it it's a new form of being strangled by the red string if you know for our TV tropes fans uh things going about exactly as you might expect with. Though I do like that Centerfield is playing in the background, a song that still charms me for years. I don't really even know why. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, what, Seeger? Uh, who is that? I, I wrote it down here. One second. Yeah, that's Seeger. That, uh, no, it's actually Fogarty. Fogarty, same thing, same guy. <laughs> Fine, fair. Yeah. Uh, it's playing. The players are mostly terrified about the risk of permanent injury, and fans are 
horrified that Paul has his own string and is calmly suggesting that everybody in the stands try it out too. You couldn't pay me enough. Uh, things reach their inevitable climax when, Whoa. with deep and serious concerns, that Jamie's knob may have been just ripped off by an errant move of his paired player. With Roy just evilly chuckling the whole time about what's this happening. I don't think Roy had any thoughts at all this would actually be wise. I think he just sadistically wanted to implement this. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that there is an equivalent in golf that is very pop, very well known. Um, of in golf, you when you take a golf swing, you really need to keep your head down through the swing, and you have to keep your head down an amount that it feels unnatural when you're because you feel like you can lift your head up to see where the ball went, but you really need to keep your head down for an unnaturally long amount of time. There is a very popular myth, lore, whatever in golf that you take a string, like a fishing, fishing line string with a hook, one on the, one on your lip and one, um, connected to your testicles. And, uh, then you swing the golf club that way. So that if you lift your head up, you, you know, you rip your sack. That is, I guess what the, the idea is, but it's, it's, it's more prevalent than you would think. And if you, if you just went to your local golf community right now and you're like, Hey guys, I want to play. In the next six months, somebody would give you that joke. Make that reference? Somebody would. Say, yeah, we're going to put a fish hook up next to your balls. Like, that's what uh, they uh, say. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, the idea here is that this is going to condition the team on the subject of always knowing where their teammates are just from the trauma of going through this experience. Yeah. The show is kind of implying that it works long term, but in the moment, it's just chaos. Yeah. But seriously, keep your head down in golf. You tried this on me. I need more trauma. Keep I, your head, I, keep I your head down. Got to keep your head down. In the locker room, Sam's flame war is now reaching a fever pitch. Oof, duh. With the Home Secretary progressing to now saying that he should worry less about the safety of the nation and more about being a mediocre player on a mediocre team. Sam responds that he would rather be a player than a world-class bigot. Please, go on. They haven't won in how many weeks? It's been a while. Like seven weeks, something like that? I think maybe even more than that now because we've had a couple games since then. I feel like mediocre might be a step up. I think they're probably still above. That might be kind of kind. They're on their run, but who knows? She probably just looked at the at the standings, the standings and thought, like, "Yeah, might be true." Uh, Sam has said, "Fires back." He'd rather be a mediocre player than a world class bigot. He seems really happy with himself when he thinks of that line. Like that's going to win the argument and solve the situation. Let's see how that works out later. It said, "I actually appreciate as rough as it is for the character." I appreciate the blowback because it lets them do things with it. And they do a great thing with it by the end of the episode. It also adds a certain element of realism to a show that is often just very not. You know what's never been said on Twitter? What? You got me. <laughs> what yeah. you, whenever you're, Humility. Whenever you're forming that, that thing where you're like, man, this is the perfect thing to just nail this person. and I, I'm going to win. The, 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 what you're expecting, that you got me, you won, you're right. It has never been said on Twitter once, and it will not happen for you. So that's just can, can that's, I, that's said from experience. I've gotten into it, with people on Twitter. It, it, you never, you never get the response you want. So just move on. Can I offer a bit of uh, just here's a, little, a little bit of informal polling I've done? I have never met somebody who has said, "You know what? I quit Twitter a while ago, and I really miss it." Never met that. I've only met people that said, "I've quit Twitter, and I'm so happy I did." I'll say this about Twitter is that I have, I use the Mangum Talks Twitter account as most of my Twitter activity and I've pretty much, uh, called it down to just wrestling stuff. Um, 
And uh, I actually really do enjoy it. But I, I think you have to be pretty brutal in how you cull down what's on your feed and just getting rid of noise and and really just locking into only the things you really are interested in. Uh, Nate. Nate. Sp- spends the night making a box because it's what he's comfortable doing and it's how he, it's how he's operated with his family. So he wants to apply it in the situation too. This is not Nate's redemption. I don't know if the show believes that or not. We'll find out. I do. Um, that morning, Jack and Keely are at breakfast again, and Keely tries to set some lines on the love bombing in their relationship. You really gotta hold on me, really gotta hold on. That's the song playing. Pop Percy Sledge, really, really good song. A lot of songs playing this episode. Jack, in the moment, apologizes, says she'll try to back off a bit. Though the croissant that she just had delivered to the table has a hell of a ring stuffed inside it, so you know, baby steps. Don't you have to be it. don't you have to be careful with sticking rings in food that people might think you're trying to hey. get marry them. Uh, you're trying to marry them, or also not crack a tooth. She's lucky that Keely just nibbled that kind of thing. Yeah, strange. Uh, the seams they're playing going forward is Keely's now going to do something for Jack, or at least you know, present you know. Try to balance things out to some degree. The show seems to be presenting that they're okay, that they're going to work this out. We'll see whether that, whether that's the case or not, or whether we get another wrench thrown in things come next episode. Uh, meanwhile, Nate and Jade are making eyes at each other from across the street. <whistles> Nate has got his box. We've got a very... This felt very stereotypical. This felt very much like I've seen this scene in like nine romantic comedies before, of where... They're making eyes. It's going to be a wonderful romantic moment. Nate moves to walk, walk across the street, immediately trips. The box falls. It's landing in the middle of the street, to which Bridget and I turned to each other at the exact moment and said, and the car comes now. Car probably runs it over. This is pretty by-the-numbers predictable. Continues, though I appreciate at least this continuance, even if it's predictable that Nate gets up, walks over, finds his spine, and just simply asks her out, to which she immediately says yes, because she's been expecting this and been is interested in him for a while now. Y- your comments, sir. What, how'd you feel about this slice, slice, of, slice of trope scene? To quote Mr. Obisanya, big whoop. <laughs> Boo. Fair. Well not, not a, not, it's a lazy scene. It's a, it was, to me... To Just to me, numbers. if you liked it, great. I'm glad you liked it. But for me, it felt like a lazy scene, lazy writing. Like Spencer pointed out, we've seen this a million times before. It was super predictable. What What does a scene that is not that funny and predictable get you? Like, what does it give you? Like, yeah. it, you know, and it's not nostalgic, right? You don't, you're not nostalgic for some reason for that type of thing. It's none of those things. I just don't know what the scene got us. Why? Why? Why even include that? Well, I know why they included the next scene, though, of where Sam is arriving at his restaurant and things are not looking good. It has been ripped all to part by, an, by the angry supporters of the Home Secretary, leaving a message for him to shut up and dribble. And Sam is just left utterly horrified and his staff crushed by this turn of events. Another good song, Doomed by Moses Summy playing right now. Very good song. I mean, I talked before about it. You know, I've been famously mocked by our fan base for being so disappointed with respect to Sam's main plot line in season two with respect to similar kinds of events. Yep. Were you surprised that they pulled this thread here, uh, given what, how, they, how they previously presented these kind of political protests on Sam's part? You know, it's going to shock you that I, I wasn't thinking about that season two storyline here. <laughs> Not like you. <laughs> Doesn't live in your head rent free no, the way no, it does for me. No, I wasn't considering it. I, although when you do the, you do the parallel, it did make sense. Uh, no, I mean, I, I, I just felt like, um, 
it felt very much like a insular episode. It was like, oh, okay, so we're going to get this little plot line here of Sam fighting with this lady, and there'll be some resolution. It'll be contained in this episode. It won't necessarily connect to the other ones. I'm sometimes okay with that. I'm not necessarily okay with it when it's in an episode that I already felt like was too long and already felt like was disjointed. Look, when the players show up and they're cleaning up his fucking shop, I, I welled up with tears just like everybody else. I just wonder if maybe you could have you could have figured out how to split the episodes up a little bit more so it got the attention it deserved, and and maybe maybe spread it out over a couple episodes because it just felt like this little contained storyline for Sam, so we don't forget Sam that you dropped in, and I just didn't like the pacing. If any of that makes sense. No, no, I'm, I'm with you on it. Where Sam has been basically a background character all season, so it was a little bit jarring for him to be very much like a season two plot line suddenly thrust in the middle of this. Of the three, of the four plot lines, we get the main Ted plot line, then we get three just individual kind of like relationship plot lines. This is the one that I think is linked back into the Ted plot line the best. Because the other two were just kind of completely out there in terms of Jack and Keely, and particularly Nate. Nate has no relationship or connection at all to any of the other plot lines. His role was, as best we could tell, just to, you know, set up his redemption at some point here on out, here on hereafter. Yep. So, I, I think they did a better job than maybe they've done previously with some of the same plot lines to link this one back into it. And it also is just well acted and emotionally effective for the certain scenes that we get from here. It is. Yeah, it is. For sure. I just, uh, maybe I'm... Maybe... It, maybe it, it's it, not. Maybe it's not so bad. Maybe maybe my just it, it, what's what's seeping into this is a general feeling that the episode was too long. No, I'm with you on that. It, my my point about this though is that if you just do the protest and everything works out fine, it comes across as this is just a message of the week episode. If you do the protest and then you do the aftermath and you show the emotional effect in the characters and then go into the kind of themes in the episode, that's a successful landing of doing that kind of you know message and that kind of like plot line for the character. So I think this one worked for me. Even if I'm with you, it's still there's a lot of plot lines in these episodes nowadays. I'd also like to say this, and you're not you're not gonna like that I'm saying this, but like I'm just talking about from a comedy perspective. That's it. That I'm just talking about from a comedy perspective here. I'm I'm maybe a little tired for shows going to the Trump well. Yeah. You know, because like I just feel like every show has has worked in some sort of angle where you have a sort of angry, you know business guy and the Trump behaviors and then, and then they work it in. It's like, we all lived through that. We've all seen it in a bunch of other shows. Like I, I maybe don't need it in every show just from a, like a interest perspective and comedy perspective. I'm not sure it it's working in 2023. Let's focus on plot lines that did work for all of us. We're back see, at Richmond now. See, I told you he wouldn't like that. He was going to switch, switch me away from politics real fast. I, I, don't, I don't disagree. It's getting kind of tired. It's, it's just like, I've seen this joke, these kind of jokes or references before. Uh, Trent is going through the various steps that Ted has emphasized with respect to total football and comes to the mysterious fourth step. Just marking a little question mark there. It left mysterious what it might be. I really enjoyed Trent this episode. I always do. I always do, but especially this episode. I was liking Trent. I was liking Trent. And then we had a scene with Trent and I was squeeing as much about Trent as Trent was squeeing at the events. Absolutely adored it. Uh, the team, he's confused about this. Meanwhile, the team, to the tune of the main theme song from this great escape, which tickled me, yep. uh, is demonstrating their increasing unity and awareness of each other by means of throwing around clothing and water bottles. Uh, showing that, you know, the training is, seemingly showing the training is having a positive effect in terms of them being connected with each other. Roy, though, is fixated on doing more string penis shenanigans, to which 
they very firmly state that, that was a one-off thing, disappointing Roy to no end. But Trent is fixated on finding what the fourth step is, to which Ted purports not to know, with a very much back-and-forth, pseudo-religious, agnostic, atheist, bouncing around a different conversation of each of each of the three coaches to either dodging or admitting a certain degree of ignorance on what the fourth step is or might be. I'm with you. I, I think they don't know. Or even if they do think they know, I don't think they all have the same answer. Fuck if I know. Yeah. Uh, so is number four God? Oh, no, I don't think so. Coach, I'm an atheist. Roy, I fuck, fucking hope fuck not. Fucking hope not. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Uh, Sam, though, charges in the locker room late and on tilt, angry and sad in equal measure and looking to start a fight as his worldview is collapsing around him by means of just a disastrous series of events. Can I give some credit to Isaac here? Because Sam does come in and give him a, a good hit. And Isaac, we saw where Isaac grew up, right? We mm-hmm. saw, we, we, we kind of saw the area he grew up in, how he grew yep. up, how he learned to play football. We know a lot about Isaac and his history. Like we do. He's, he doesn't seem to me like the type of guy you can come up and just sucker punch, and he he takes his, it well. His default would be hit you back. Exactly, but he he you can see he flashes anger, but he peels it back and he recognizes this is a, a whole bigger situation. I like the restraint there from Isaac. Give him some credit. Yeah, I mean, Sam immediately just vents on the subject of just you know the world is terrible, people do shitty things, and there's nothing he can damn well do about it because you know. He's here to play a sport, and if he doesn't play it in a way that makes everybody happy, they can come out of the damn country, and that's what's hanging over his head at all times. Luckily, as Sam is just spiraling, his dad, who is a massive fucking mountain of a man, because isn't this Zoro Zoro Duck Sauce? Is it? I think, I it's think Zoro, you're right. I, I think didn't it's think Zoro Zoro Duck Sauce. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. He returns again. Uh, all I, I, the wealth of Koth. Sam's the actor who plays Sam is not short. I think he's like around six foot. This guy's like half a foot taller than him and maybe three times as broad. Big old guy. I think they also pat him just to make him look even bigger because this is a man who in this scene is pointedly meant to give hella bear hugs. Sam, in his grief, goes over, gets a much needed hug from his dad, and they go off for what amounts to a very private for a private and very heartfelt scene that worked for me quite well. Of where his dad just gives him advice about what he can do with this, about, you know. Sam's kind of looking to just give up and retreat into himself. His dad's response. How would you summarize what his dad's advice is here? Can you, can you put it? Can you put it to a few words? Yeah, don't fight back, fight forward. I mean, he, his point is like you, 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 the exact thing that Sam was doing is not the thing that will strengthen you. The getting mm-hmm. in the mucking around in the dirt with these people and, and and throwing the insults and being angry and living in that anger only weakens you. He actually says that anger will only weaken you. If you want to piss people off, um, the people who did this, forget them, move on, live your life, continue to excel and be and and be be a successful immigrant in the United Kingdom. I think that's the way to do it. And I, and I think it was wonderful advice from his father. The ultimate victory is a life well lived. That kind of thing? Yeah, perfect. Perfect quote to summarize it. Uh, he also is very, very... Re- he also encourages son that security cameras are a great idea and that insurance was a lovely thing to have. Because <laughs> otherwise his mom would have killed them both. Uh, at, at this moment, as they're bonding lovely, uh, Ted, Sam's other father figure, walks in, offers to let him out of practice for the day, to which his dad says, without any, you know, unconditionally, no, he's playing. Uh... Sam, Sam heads out. Uh, 
And Ted and the dad bond over the subject of American high fructose candy, which, you know, everyone loves and well, damn well should. It's a bad sugar. Uh, at the Arsenal game, Keely and Jack are talking, uh, sorry, Rebecca, Rebecca and Keely are talking about the subject of flower love bombing in terms of uh, Rebecca's own history with respect to it. We are enough. young. We are free. We see the sights. Songs at every All moment in this episode. Right. All right. by Supergrass. That was another good one. But I, I just felt like it was a crutch in the episode. Uh, Keely's planning to take Jack out that night, limiting her to just the tip if the Jack does not comply with what Keely's desiring about the situation. She's so funny. Uh, Rebecca and, uh, and then Sam's dad then share a very awkward moment of mutual knowledge on the subject of her and Sam's past relationship. They both play that off lovely of just not knowing what the hell to say about that circumstance. And here it is. Here is the most adorable thing I've ever seen on Ted Lasso. Where it's quiet and Keely just goes, Ah, oh, come on, you greyhounds! Trying to save her friend from this awkward situation. I just melted. I thought it was hilarious. It was sweet. It was charming. It was everything. I, it, absolutely wonderful scene for me. That he really was, worked. He was a good friend. Really worked for me. Uh, at the game, though, things are not going well. Look at this. Implementing a new strategy in the middle of the season with no existing buildup without fully explaining to your players, even by means of like maps, where they're supposed to go. Who would have thought that might not work out great? Again, look at this show implementing some realism here at the 11th hour. It's strange. I just don't know when they're, when, what, what make, I don't know. What, why do they decide some things have to be hyper realistic and some things aren't remotely realistic? I don't know. I don't know either. Uh, the team looks lost. They're getting in their own way. They're falling behind and by the half, they are three nil. I said, that, that's three nothing for all you Americans out there. Here for you. Uh, the pub is the pub is sort of emptying out. Fans are abandoning them right and left. May is pissed, but the trio are standing loyal, pointedly saying that the strategy just needs more time. I think this episode hints that they may be right. Ask yourself, what does this situation need, May? Look at the effect the total football has had on the broader community. In the locker room, the team is turning on themselves, and particularly Jamie. Particularly Jamie. I think at least maybe a little bit because Jamie was the odd man out when it came to this training. So they're turning on him because he's not, they don't feel like he's been connected in the same way they have to this. Uh, the other coaches discuss whether they should return to their old strategy, at least for the time being, until they can you know spend more time with the other one. But Ted's determined here and offers a very Ted speech on the subject of his prior coaching career, facial hair, and just committing to things. You could go wrong a few times in the past, but that can lead on to great things going forward. Throughout this conversation, one of the things that amused me the most, this is a long damn speech from Ted, is throughout it, Ted kind of gives Roy the opportunity to offer some kind of witty pun, to which Roy almost instinctually then fills in the gap that, you know, they would have been called sharp-dressed men, to which Ted compliments and Roy hates himself. That happens a couple times with the subject of the Blue Collar Comedy Tour, but also Sasquatch, with Roy pointing out that, you know, if it had been, if, if the, the goat, if Bird says that if Ted had gotten a goatee, it made him look like he ate at Bigfoot's butthole, which Roy responds, Asquatch. Make which, it stop. I love that this, you know, it's, it's like harkening back to season one that, you know, uh, Beard and Roy, Beard and Ted saying, you know, once he realizes what effect we're, ha we're actually having on him, he'll hate us even more. It's happening. Well, it's interesting. It's like Roy's such a professional that, like, when he is doing the pundit job, he ends up 
doing it and hating himself for doing it because he just doesn't like it. And then with he's when, being the hype man for Ted, and yeah, and even now he's doing his job right. He's 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 locked into with Ted's line of thinking so much so that he's even making Ted jokes and he fucking hates it. But he's still doing it because he's a professional. Uh, his point is, a lot of times the right idea is just sitting behind a couple of wrong ones. At this moment, Jamie steps in to pointedly, necessarily modify how they've been doing the strategy. That he encourages everyone that, well, encouraged by the fact that, you know, he's like, he's afraid about being a dick. Everyone just gives him the finger anyway because they think he's a, to, to hearkening back to that kind of signal to him to just do it. Be a dick for a moment. Um, and he focuses on the idea that the way they should be doing total football is rather than playing to him as being like the new Zava, they should play through him. Him being like the general on the pitch directing the ball where it needs to go at any given moment to the players it needs to be through. That's total football the way they need to be played. It's the secret formula perhaps found. Danny thinks that it's even number, step four, that you know, through sacrifice of his own ability for the sake of the team. Ted dismisses that. I like that, four. but that's not step four. But they charge out, ready to go with making the strategy, have a new way of going, working going forward. And it seems like it does, at least from the little bit we see. One particular play in the entire half of where they engage in an excellent bit of football. The team danced the ball all over the pitch, all perfectly aware of each other at any given moment, bouncing the ball to avoid other players and set up to a perfectly scored team goal. Still lose 3-1, but as the announcers declare, it was a bloody, gorgeous, majestic, sweeping symphony of a goal with Tart as the conductor, which energizes the crowd for the first for the, for the first sign of life in weeks from our team AFC Richmond. Uh, particularly energized, though, is Trent. On a scale of 1 to 10, what is Trent at when we see him charging in to tell Ted what he just suddenly realized? 13.26. At least. 13.27, sir. I think he had a bit of a rounding error He's there. pretty fucking high. He's pretty fucking high up. He is so fired up. I, you know, you know like, he's a, I love that he, I love that he loves the team. That's just cool. Also, pointedly too, it's Trent. If, 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 we're, if we're on a scale of where Trent is presently at a 13.2, uh, the highest we've ever seen him before this moment was what, 4.3? Maybe, maybe. If, if, if even that. I think uh, it was dancing with dancing with Colin a couple episodes, that last episode or whatever. Maybe fair. it's the highest we've ever seen him. But yeah, he, he man, he keeps it cool all the time. But he is he has fired the fuck up here. The, he tells Ted, 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 it's going to work. Great, what is total football? I t- I'll tell you what, the lasso way. You haven't switched tactics in a week. No, you've been doing this for three seasons. Yes, you've been slowly but surely building a club wide culture of trust and support through thousands of imperceptible moments, all leading to an inevitable conclusion. Total football. Well, about that, it's going to work. It doesn't even matter what number four is. He almost like gleefully sprints off to go write, write this in his book. I love it. I, it's like, I, 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 I love his excitement. I love that this actually kind of makes sense that total football is a perfect strategy for Ted to implement. We kind of talked about that last episode. It's the lasso waves with a label on it in terms of how you would play football. And it's perfect for the journey that Jamie's gone on to. There's so many things about this strategy that works with the storyline. It's it's pretty brilliantly concocted. I want to emphasize that too. If, if they could have found a way to make me like Jamie's storyline even more, they found it in the subject of he doesn't want to be a Zava All-Star. He just wants to be a great player on this team. He wants He's to use the point all the guard. abilities. He's a point he guard. wants to be the point guard, yes, of a sport yep. that doesn't necessarily have a point guard, but he wants to have that role. And I love that opportunity for him to be a superstar in that way. Rather than just being the guy who scores all the goals. 
I agree. I find that so much more interesting. Yep. The coaches laugh and dismiss Trent as a fucking dork, but he's their dork, damn it. Um, and it, and, and, and the, uh, the day, the day of sport ends. At night, though, uh, Nate is waiting for dinner, and Jade is a bit late, which freaks him out for a brief moment, but she shows up looking lovely, uh, and they look like they will be having a great night together here at dinner in spite of all of Nate's awkwardness. Where things go for there with respect to these characters, and particularly the general arc they have Nate on, I don't know, and I'm a little bit worried. We'll find out. Also at dinner, uh, Keelan and Jack are gone to Taste of Athens, because apparently this is just a happening place for all of the Ted Lasso community. Uh, That's where getting... Keely wants to... Keely's picked. That's where she wants to go. Keely is picked, and she also has arranged to have the best table in the house. A bit of love bombing on her part. Jack seems amused by this, taking it a lot better than Nate's date when he brought her there. Um, and she's probably much, much richer than Nate's date. Probably much, much richer, but also seems generally a little bit more down to earth, despite all of her love bombing. Uh, I like I liked Jack pre this episode. I, I know you like Jack pre this episode. I'm not out on Jack yet. I think that you know maybe this is just a bump in the road, and the things will you know learn and improve from here. We'll see. At least in this moment, looks like they're gonna have a nice, fun dinner date together. Uh, also that night, though, Sam and his dad are discussing uh, whether Sam's dad made things weird with Rebecca. He kind of did, but it was adorable. And that Sam, despite previously not really wanting to, kind of wants to take his dad to the restaurant, even as destroyed as it is. Both are shocked, though, to find out the team has rallied together to help clean the place up, with them realizing this was the situation and this was how the situation needed them to act. Applying the, the, the total football strategy to real life. One of those lasso moments where they get you get you right in the feels. This... Though this was obviously emotionally manipulative and I saw it coming, it was still effective. And I, I thought they sold it well for ending off this episode. Partly just because the actors are so damn charming together. Yeah, it worked. Uh, they've all offered their own individual skills and knowledge to help repair the place. Simi is introduced to Sam's dad. Again, the implication being here, even if they're not dating now, Sam has kind of talked up, talked her up like he maybe might be interested in that, based at least on the dad's reaction. And pointedly, they get the dad clarified that he would like her to call him Ola. Which explains the name of the restaurant, Olas. And this is part of the reason that te- that uh, uh, Sam wanted to show his dad that. Because when uh, I think it's Cumberbatch gets the sign finally working again and it comes up, both Ted and his, uh, Sam and his dad's face just light up when they see that as they're able to share that moment together. Yeah, because I took it as Sam's dad did not know until that moment that the restaurant had been named Very after so. him. And that was that was the most emotionally impactful moment of the whole episode to me is when he, when he, he the dad's face when he sees... Sam had had named the restaurant for him. Big, it only big goes, one. Big it one. only only goes up even farther from there. With Sam noting that they're not going to fix the mirrors because you know not everything has to be perfect, and maybe there should be a certain memory of events and days like this. And particularly, it doesn't matter if the food is good. In fact, Ola is going to go cook for everybody there, and we end the episode with the whole team celebrating together and having a lovely night. Oh, and Ola nice. and Sam there cooking together, jamming out to the music, having a grand old time. Yep. Uh, that is the end of the episode. I thought it end as much as I've complained about some of the plot lines not linking well, this plot line is its own independent story, not necessarily a perfectly integrated independent story, was particularly successful with its ending. I agree with that. All right. There you go. Knocking it out with the recap. There we go. I, 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 uh, we're doing train wreck, we're doing sports center, because I have a question for sports center for we do tra- Let's do train wreck of the episode first. Who is the train wreck of the episode? <laughs> 
Sam has the worst events, but Jack, at least as a character, has more of a derailing kind of series of moments compared to where she started for us. So I would... I also think Sam ends up more than he ever ends down, so I might say Jack. I feel like Trainwreck of the episode was meant for the type of performance Jack put in this episode. Like, that's mm-hmm. why we that's why we created this segment. Like, what character just took a dive off a cliff? And in my opinion, Jack did. Because, like, over-the-top, absurdist, unre- unreasonable behavior with Keeley that in, in any normal situation, the person would have come gone running, screaming away from her. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think that's the right pick. And I don't, I don't think it's Sam at all. I think Sam has a, he's upset because it's he, fucking, he's he very rough moment. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the, when he's upset in the locker room, I don't even consider that a train wreck moment. The, the train wreck moment is when he sits down on Twitter and he decides I'm going to go back and forth with this lady. Sure, that's yeah. kind of, that's kind of bad. But, uh, ultimately the, the stuff with his dad. And I mean, if it, the dad, Zoro Zoro duck sauce plays it perfectly. Wonderful moment there. Uh, emotional heights of the episode. There you go. That's train wreck of the episode. Let's get a sports inner top 10. That's where we talk about 10, not nine, not 11, not eight, not 12 things that were interesting to us about the episode or we thought needed more discussion. Spencer, I'll give it over to you for the first item on sports inner top 10. I'll start in episode. We did this last episode and I'm curious your thoughts. We had, I think, four independent plot lines uh, going through the course of this uh, hour of Ted Lasso television. How would you rank them in terms of your own personal enjoyment? So we've got Ted, we've got Sam, we've got Keeley, and we've got Nate. I think those are the four pretty much independent ones. Um, yeah, definitely Jamie, number one. Definitely Ted, number two. Um, Jack, Keeley, three, Nate, of distant, distant four. Uh, where was Sam in that mix? Oh, um, right around maybe where Keeley and Jack are. Somewhere in the middle then, yeah. Yeah, I mean it, it. It's all it almost parallels the the plot line that the, when you pulled the twelve people about the plot lines of the season. You're straight kinda, there on it. Yeah. It kinda follow, it's not exactly the same thing. It's like I'm I'm really interested in what Jamie's doing, and I think they've played it perfectly. And it, you don't get too much of him every episode either, so you really cherish the scenes. Ted's always interesting, and I do think he's he's going he's still continuing to go through some character growth here. And the fact that he cares about the job a little bit more is something we, we, were begging, we were begging for that earlier in the season, and they gave it to us. So I like that. Everything else, though, is just kind of middling to me. It's I, mid. I was begging for it for a season and a half because I don't feel like he cared that much in season two either, just given everything else he was dealing with. Yeah, the, the intense, the the, the 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 turning and focusing on his job, and do it, and, and focusing on his job in the most Ted way possible, which is like yes. we all work together, we all trust each other, et cetera, et cetera. All of that's working for me. But to quote MJF, another wrestling reference, everything else, mid. <laughs> All right. You, sir. Ne- uh, ne- next on Sports Center Top 10. That wasn't really a Sports Center Top 10, but yes, I'll, I'll allow it. Okay. So um, talking about anti-immigration politicians in the United Kingdom, I think you'd be remiss to not mention who, while this character might have been predicated on Trump and American politics and the shut up and dribble thing. I think anytime you're discussing anti-immigration politicians in the United Kingdom, you have to bring up Enoch Powell, who had the very famous rivers of blood speech in 1968, um, that it kind of from there propelled most of the anti-immigration rhetoric in that country. So um, I'm a little surprised they didn't have some sort of reference there to Enoch Powell at all, because if you are making it UK-centric, any any discussion about rote Anti-immigration rhetoric probably needs to include this this character. 
Uh, I, m- I mentioned Major Re- Major League earlier in the episode. Is that a film you're familiar with, by the way? <laughs> yeah, wild thing. I love sports comedies. It's among my favorite sports comedies. It's, it's a 1989 film subject uh, focusing on a very fictionalized version of the Cleveland Indians. Uh, I, I, are they still called the Cleveland Indians? I actually don't know. No, there's something else now. Okay, change change their name out. Uh, or no, maybe they maybe they kept that. They might have kept that. I'm going to look at that right now. Ch- check it up while we're doing that. Uh, it stars Tom Berenger, Charlie Sheen. First time I ever, ever saw Charlie Sheen in. Wesley Snipes. First time I ever saw Wesley Snipes in. They're the Guardians. Indian, the, the Cleveland Guardians. Gotcha. Uh, it was incredibly successful at a budget of $11 million, made $75 million, uh, worldwide. And it's still... I've, wrought, I've rewatched it recently. It's still very much legitimately funny. It has some very, very memorable moments, some very memorable characters, wild things, still... I still think about Charlie Sheen's character when that song plays. Um, and yeah, I quite enjoy it. Would recommend it to our audience. All right. So uh, Ted referenced the Blue Collar Comedy Tour. Blue Collar Comedy Tour, along with the original Kings of Comedy, is probably the most successful comedy tour of all time. It was led by Jeff Foxworthy, who at the creation of the tour already was an established comedian who had a very known brand and lane. He actually won some Grammys with his material about being a redneck and really um, play to that audience. He claims to have gotten the idea for the blue collar comedy tour from the original Kings of comedy, um, which was the one with like Bernie Mac, DL Hughley, um, th- thinking that maybe that tour did not cater to his audience. And so he got his three buddies together, Larry, the cable guy, Bill Ingvall and Ron White. And the four of them went on a six-year tour, starting in January 2000, finishing up in 2006 in Washington, D.C. And as far as like pure dollars is is in the top five of grossing comedy tours of all time. Uh, and I will say, I, much like Ted, Ron White's my favorite. Ron White, I was going to ask you that. Ron White, I think he has the best presentation and he has some of the funniest stories. He doesn't have as much material, I think, as some of the other guys do and doesn't like change it up that much, but... As individual stories, they're just absolutely great. Can we agree on the, the least favorite of the four? Larry the Cable Guy? No, Bill Ingvall. Bill Ingvall. Yeah, he, he's, not, he's not funny at all. Nah, Here's I, your I, sign. I, Nobody's even I, know, nobody even knows what that means still. I would I would put him above Larry the Cable Guy from H in terms of enjoyment value. Larry the Cable Guy had a very odd presentation, but he did. He, he, he could he had, be very funny. I, I just found the presentation took it down a bit. I agree. I didn't like the presentation, but he had some witty jokes. Billy Ball didn't have as good a writing, in my personal opinion. So there you go. Blue Collar Comedy Tour. Foxworthy number two? Yeah, for sure. Je- I mean, Jeff Foxworthy's a funny he, guy. He's, he's just a, an iconic classic comic, even separate from the comedy tour. I This whole, like... Like joking about being a redneck thing, it doesn't necessarily like hit my Venn diagram. But I would go tonight to watch Jeff Foxworthy perform. He is he is just a professional. I I have a very middle class yuppie family that I grew up in. We, I some of my earliest memories of watching stand up comedy were listening to his "You Might Be a Redneck If" comedy to, uh, comedy specials, and all, yeah. all of us just laughed laughing our asses off because even growing up in Charlotte, North Carolina, we still lived a lot of those. He had a moment. He did. Uh, Centerfield. I referenced that song. It, this is in the category of songs. Of That's Rod. about Bob Seger, right? No, it's not. Just John kidding. Fogarty. LOL. Uh, it, it's very much similar to like Bob Seger, though. This is in the category of songs of where if I'm, if this is playing on the radio, I'm singing this as I'm driving. This is very oh. much, I'm in the middle of nowhere listening to, you know, some classic rock station. This comes on and I'm having fun. What are you doing in the middle of nowhere? 
I drive. I, I used to particularly. I had to, had to drive for hearings all over Florida. And if you've never driven to the middle of Florida before, there's nothing there. I'd like to. I got to get down there sometime. I, hey, take take the high speed train with me to Orlando. It just opened. We, ah, we'll go through yes. the middle. Of, we'll go through the middle of nothing, Florida, that way. That sounds awesome. Uh, but it's a song from 1985 by John Fogarty on his likewise titled Good album Centerfield. I'd say this song, though, is most famous, given that it's a baseball song. If you have been to a baseball game, they will probably play this song at least once before the game is over. It is just very iconic in that regard. Major League Baseball has almost a partnership deal with respect to this song in terms of how much it's played. Put me in, Coach. Um, Played today. Yeah, Ted made a passing reference to a Robert Frost poem and something about about the woods or something. He's referencing a poem called The Road Not Taken, The Road Not Taken, a narrative poem. That was first published in 1915 in the Atlantic Monthly, later reprinted many, 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 many times. And I would say, Spencer, for American, for an American audience, for a 2023 American audience, is, is this the most famous poem of all time? Two it, Roads Diversion in the Wood and I, I Took the One Less. I, I mean, it, it, it's, it's in the category of where it is so much part of American culture, people are referencing this without even knowing it. it it's just become that iconic now. I think it might be the most popular. I can't think of a poem that's more popular than this in 2023 America. I will recite it here for everybody just because it's that fucking good and it deserves Please. it. Please. Two roads diverged in the yellow wood. And sorry, I could not travel both and be one traveler long. I stood and looked down one as far as I could go, as far as I could. To where it bent in the undergrowth, I shall be telling this with a sigh. Somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood and I I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. And I think that the last three lines are really what everyone talks about. Everyone uh, uses that that two roads to version of wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. That's made all the difference. So shout out Robert Frost. Probably the most popular poem in America, and and for good reason. It's one of those that has actually got some up behind it. It is that good. It is, a, it is a wonderful poem. I've often heard English teachers say, though, that it is among the most misunderstood poems in the English language, partly because of its popularity. A lot of people interpret it as being, you know, just championing the idea of pick your own path, follow your own path, pick your own direction, take the road less traveled. Frost apparently actually intended the poem, though, to be a mocking kind of like light joke for a friend who always just suffered from indecision and then would never make a decision and then regret whatever decision he ultimately made. And if you read the poem with that kind of light, you can see it in that kind of direction, too. But it's a poem famously subject to individual interpretation, maybe far beyond what, far different than Frost intended. Great American poet that he was. It's a wonderful nominee for the gold medal of the author is dead. Because you kind of want to just tell Robert Frost to just shut up. Like that, it's so, it's so fucking good when read through a serious lens that it, for him to say like, oh, I made it as a joke. It's like, just, 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 let's just squash that. Let's not even talk about that. Okay. Uh, one last one for me. Uh, the bottle of wine that, uh, Rebecca called for in this episode. Oh, you got more on this? Just a little bit more on That's this. That's exciting. Uh, I, 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 let me pull up the exact name of it again. One second. It was a, one, nine, three, four, nine. A 1934 Chateau Cheval Blanc Saint Amelion Premier Grand Cru. Uh, as Lee expressed, if you can even find, this is in the category of wine of where it's gotten old enough, it's actually decaying in the bottle kind of thing of like, it's not as good as it even once was. It's reaching that level of just age. So like, in this reference, he's, she really is talking about a bottle of wine from 1934. Yes. This okay. Is Cause sometimes when you hear a 90 year old bottle of wine, cause sometimes when you hear the date, 
Um, sometimes it does mean the vintage, but sometimes they, that's part of the name. They do that to, to fuck you sometimes, right? Because it'll be like something bottled in 2020 and they'll call it the, the 91, blah, 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 blah. That's the name. So you can get, you can get tripped up that way. Yeah. This is a bottle of red. It's from the Bordeaux region of France. It is produced by Chateau Cheval Blanc, who is an illustrious, famous, ancient wine producer who is, was previously famous for having, uh, the highest rank possible for judging lines from the Saint-Emilion region of where it was premier grand cru classe status. An illustrious rank, the highest they can possibly get. Uh, still incredibly well regarded. Notably, though, they have no rank at all now. And this is a fun little bit of a uh, thing I found out. The cru rankings are ranking actually not necessarily the individual wine, uh, but the actual vineyard itself. It varies based on region. Sometimes they're ranking their wine, sometimes they're ranking the vineyard. Particularly for this this region they're ranking the actual vineyard itself that classification for the centimillion wines was subject to originally came about i think in 1955 uh and um it is updated roughly every 10 years or so the last classification where they again earned the most illustrious rating possible was in 2012 in 2022 they and several other very popular incredible uh wines from that region all elected out they chose not to participate in sort of an act of protest on the subject of how the criteria has changed with them basically saying that the rules have been changed for how you actually judge the product to now go into things like brand awareness marketing kind of pitches your social media exposure they they in a certain degree of protest that they weren't working to the standard criteria by which wines should be judged have just simply elected to take no rating whatsoever going forward. So, uh, Chateau Cheval Blanc, one of the most illustrious winemakers in the world, now has no crew rating going forward from 2022 forward. Doesn't seem to have hurt their sales, though. If anything, the rating system has now taken this heavily on the chin and maybe revising their criteria in 10 years so as to try to convince them to rejoin once more. Wow. Okay, and then number 10, um, we had Beard mention Motown, Mehmet, Pinter, Einstein, Motown is an American record label that was run out of Detroit, Michigan, known mostly for uh, really wonderful soul music. It was primarily owned, operated, and for African-American artists and uh, operated. Uh, most people probably know Motown and know, know a lot of Motown songs. One thing I will say that uh, I learned about Motown and looking this up is that Motown was uh, located in Detroit, Michigan until the Detroit riots of 1967, which worried the people who own the record label. So they actually moved it to LA. So it's not been in Detroit since 1967. And I would not have known that. Mamet is David Manette. He's an American playwright known for such plays as Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, Speed mm-hmm. the Plow. He's still alive, 75. Pinter, Harold David, Harold Pinter is a British dramatist, best known plays are birthday party the homecoming and betrayal he died in 2008 at age 78 and einstein is einstein uh and who would that be we all know einstein there's no, no uh, reason the, to go into it the dude with the funny hair sticking out his tongue on the poster right we're all quite aware of that guy yeah gotcha. so einstein's gotcha. einstein so motown Mamet, pincher einstein these are the people along with the very heartbreaking story or inspiring however you want to look at it of his mother leaving the vibrator proudly on the bedside table the things that inspire Coach Beard. Traumatizing moments for us all. All right. So Ted's Ted's life lessons of the episode. And, you know, we're going to rename the segment. It's not Ted's life lessons of the episode anymore. 
It's what Sam, is- Sam's dad. It's Ola's oh. life lessons of the episode. And I don't have to go, we've gone long this episode. I don't have to say much more other than anger will only weaken you. If you really want to piss off the people who did this, forget them. Big whoop. Don't fight back. Fight forward. I think we can let it go with that. Well said. Well meant. Understood. All right. So there we go. That is this episode of the Lasso Lowdown. Thanks, everybody, for joining. Thanks for listening to us, participating. You know, we have a number of people who reach out and engage with us on all types of social media from Facebook for Facebook.com slash Mangum Talks or on Twitter at Mangum Talks or going to MangumTalks.com, clicking the Contact Us form, filling it out, kicking it over to us. I love interacting with all you folks, so please keep doing that. That's really awesome. We appreciate your feedback. Appreciate your ratings uh, on whatever podcast platform you use, uh, subscribing on whatever podcast platform you you use, leaving comments. All that stuff is really cool. We'll be back with you next week. We'll go through the same segments. We'll do the same podcast here, except we will be reviewing Season 3, Episode 8, as we go into the back half of what may or may not be the final season of Ted Lasso. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hope you have a great week.